For the record and for the benefit of any future legal case, Russell Brand. <laughs> Radio X. Hello, you're listening to the Russell Brand Podcast. Coming up, it's going to be an incredible thing. It's a, a podcast, uh, well, I mean, the radio show is part of the podcast, and why wouldn't it be? But it's, in addition to that, there's this. Well, it was a good show, wasn't it, guys? It was a brilliant show. What so did you strange. like about it so much? Well, I Got don't know. very metaphysical. Very yeah, metaphysical. Did, actually, yeah. Yeah, and we also we talked to a member of the Lighthouse family, <laughs> and we uh, we spoke to a man who's got a, an aerial Trans down in the mind. Trans species, and he's not exactly what you'd expect him to be, even if you can have an expectation of such an extraordinary I thing. Trans species, you want someone who's got lions. Legs, yeah, lion's legs. <laughs> look I was going to say something Look else at there. me. Look at my legs. An udder or something. At very least, an udder. But in a way, that's just a human mammal, female with a couple of udders, right? Couldn't it be? Couldn't it be? Yeah. Under the right circumstances. There was a, I'm sure it was a man who lived in a lake, and he was partly. He had gills. Mm, I don't think he had gills, but he was. He was evolving. He was trying to evolve, but he was really committed to living a in a lake. semi-aquatic lifestyle. Yeah, is it? <laughs> I'm really committed to living a semi-aquatic lifestyle. And that's that's my like excuse. water world, isn't it? Yep, yeah. he had gills, yeah, didn't gills. he? Yeah. Kevin Costner. At the end, he has gills. I never watched that. You gilly billy. Now, why don't we just do a little bit of a radio show, and on the other side of it, we'll meet up back here, and I think we're all going to have a, some sort of rash that we're going to have to explain to our wives. Okay, here we go. Here's the radio show. Radio X. Russell Brand. you are doing immediately you're wasting your lives this is radio x this is russell brand it must be sunday it must be not that long after 11 there's been the news possibly a song here we are trapped in a bubble of time if time be as they say the simple movement of matter in space oh the world things fall apart the center cannot hold or can it? With me here at the epicentre of broadcasting in a special room that we don't get to use that often. Some know it as the Al Gore room, as it's the favourite room of global. A special room with dot matrix uh, sort of images all the way around it. You'll see if there's any video clips. Is Matt Morgan. Matt, how are you today? You look really serious. No, I was just uh, very... You know, it's an honour to be in this room. You look honoured! You've got. I don't think I've ever <laughs> I've seen you look as... Boss's favourite room. Mm. We're not allowed to eat in here. There's a bowl of fruit just under the desk. Uh, it's been kept as a sort of a, it's it's, a test. Yeah, a secretive little bowl of fruit under there. Do you think it is a test? I think it is. Yeah, it's probably plastic. Hold on a minute. Let me, that looks like very real fruit to me. I hope it's not plastic. I've already had well, an I apple. I think we're just not allowed to get it on the buttons or the mics or anything. So I thought it was a Cox's orange pippin. We certainly don't want you to have any phallic. Good. Don't start guzzling down boiled eggs and nanas. Got a little banana here. <laughs> like you do. It's like the sort of food Magritte would eat. I actually eat. remembered a little uh, part of your wedding. Oh. Where just at the beginning of the bit where it was, yeah, in the church. Oh, yeah, yeah, down the old and church. And uh, my blood sugar felt a bit low. I know. And uh, I asked you if there was any food. Yeah. And you said no. But there was a banana in your daughter's bag. <laughs> I said, I can't let you steal food from my baby on my wedding day, my Matt. My blood sugar was no, very my blood low. Sugar. My blood sugar. And then I looked at my phone. It was all messages on my phone. I was trying to get ready for my wedding. There's all these messages from Matt like, uh, 
mate, if you've got any shoes and if you've got any blood sugar, I've removed both. My blood sugar's all no, over I the place and I, I need a I shoe. I thought I was texting my wife and I text Gareth here saying, just bring some crisps, a banana, oh, yeah. some sort of snack. <laughs> okay, kiss. And he thought that was me telling him, because he was like one of the best men, that was yeah. his duties. I just need beef jerky, something. Hurry up, woman. Yeah. And he's like... Okay, but on no, the actual, in the church, on my wedding day, the proudest day of my life. I saw that banana in that baby bag, and I thought, "Oh, I've got to have that banana." Came up to me, wasn't allowed it. I said, "I can't give you that, mate, because if that baby starts crying, <laughs> that's one of our few tools. One of our uh, that's the only armament we have in the ba- battle against the crying door." In the end, I got a bag of crisps off John Rogers' son, who's <laughs> a teenager. So I went up the age a little bit. Yeah. And he saw, his mum went, do you want these? I uh, said, oh, yeah, please, please, I need mid. them. And then she said, is it all right? And then the, the little boy went, yeah, yeah, go on. Like go on, mate, yeah, no, I haven't. And I ate them really quickly. I went, thanks, you've saved a life here today, kid. You've done something. I mean, this is a house of God, but what you've done is you've really reached out to your brother man in a salt, vinegar. But you know when your blood treat. sugar goes low and you feel a bit no, shaking? not everyone does know that because we don't think of the terms in such minute may I say selfish terms but we do sometimes see life as a sort of poem if we are G and G is G and that is true are you alright and do you feel honoured to be back in the Al Gore room I feel yeah honoured yeah because last time I was here Al Gore was here he was uh, all hyped up have you been in here before yeah that's why I knew when he said the Al Gore room I knew exactly where we were going I was here where I am right now stood up like Ahab in the master was Al Gore in my chair no Al Gore wouldn't sit there he was directly opposite yeah. It was directly opposite, face to face with Al Gore. That's what I called the interview in my mind. And uh, occasionally, when Al Gore said something, you know, when my soliloquy was interrupted by just catching him in the, my peripheral vision, I think, here I am interviewing old, old Gorey, allegory, algorithm, all of those things that I were calling him. Al Gore. <laughs> Al Gore, get up here. <laughs> Al Gore wants to talk now. <laughs> wants to polish the atmosphere up. <laughs> oh, dear. Here's some emails for us, and what the hell do these people want? The, uh, there's someone reaching out. Hello, gang. I don't know if you've had any other podcast glossaries submitted, but here's one. Russ and Matt pod glossary. Can I just say, because someone mm. thought I was being egotistical, go, so make us a glossary. You? But it was because we've forgotten loads of stuff that people mention, it was only mm. so that, you know, like, there's stuff we've forgotten. Rat Boy, what was that about? We don't there's know. people out there who know. There's yeah. people out there, they are the receptacles of great knowledge, great wisdom, and uh, we should be mining that resource. And over the course of the show, that's just one of the things we'll be doing. We'll be, of course, we'll be cannibalising our co- own culture, but possibly we'll be doing things that are even more important than that. We're going to be talking to a man who claims to be the world's first cyborg. In fact, he is the world's first cyborg because it's been advocated and uh, verified by the Guinness Book of Records. Neil Harbison, he's got an antenna fitted. But Neil is a Catalan-raised, British-born, contemporary-ized and cyborg activist best known for having an antenna implanted in his skull and for being officially recognised as a cyborg by the government. If you had to describe that picture of him... Mm. You would say Gareth from the office with a wire sticking out of his hair. Yeah, yeah. That, and I don't mean yeah. that in any negative way. Yeah, or maybe a cartoon sort of called something like Centipede Fella or like Millipede That's Man. That's very offensive to him. Is it? He won't answer the phone. Well, he won't know, actually. Well, I suppose it's because of the antenna. He won't know it, but he'll be listening to... He'll be getting the phone call inside his own mind, won't he? He says um, he's been officially recognised as a cyborg by a government. 
That's not very specific. It's just the government's over there has recognised him. It's like, yeah, we say he is. Uh, he would say he's a cyborg. He is a cyborg. Yes. <laughs> we recognise him as that. What exactly are you governing? We're just governing each other, really, just quietly over here. Just people who think they're cyborgs. <laughs> There's a lot of us. <laughs> How many cyborgs? Just one so far. <laughs> a lot of time on our hands. A lot of time. Yeah. So we'll be talking to him. But so we, he's got a thing in his head that can answer phone calls. So are we calling his head. He'll be hearing a voice in his head, and I imagine not for the first time, because I, I reckon that might be a relatively regular experience. Do but we he's, know? He's, got... he's on the landline. Oh. Oh. You're a cyborg. What sort of cyborg is that? He should answer it on his leg. Yeah, you should be... Yeah, right, I want to call him right in his groin. I, I want him to be, be like, like Tron. You should be able to call him straight into his mind. Of course you should. I mean, he's undermining. He's, like, he's been allowed into the Guinness World of Records, along with all sorts of other incredible feats. Longest cat tail, Will Powers. Will Powers? His name's Will Powers, and the record is in the Guinness Book of Records for is a fluffy cat tail. Will grows, Power. Yeah. You will grow. You will grow. It grows half an mo- inch every month or so, does Cygnus, the fluffy cat's tail, that's uh, grown its way right into the Guinness Book of Records. Yeah, but hang on. Look. So the bloke we're going to talk to, mm. first man with antenna fitted into his head, right? Yeah, that's him. So you could just invent a new category. You could go, I'm the first man with staples in his nose. <laughs> Yeah. You just do it, and then you are. That's right, man. That's not a record. Well, you speak, obviously, with the bitterness of a man who's <laughs> failed to get in the Guinness Book of Records on many, many occasions. Think of that banana, all those bananas I had to eat on that day at your wedding. Well, I wasn't even allowed one banana. <laughs> I know. The, the irony. irony. Tormented by his inability I to eat like bananas. I don't like the long fingernail people. They shouldn't be allowed in it anymore. Because of their Rivita. Yeah, we've said, how many of those curly Rivita break them off fingernails are we going to be forced to look at? Then people lying with their nails, especially the toenail version. You can see the bubbles in it. Their toenails look like that stuff that the insects preserved in in yeah. Jurassic Park. It should look, be crunched longest off. Longest eyelashes, right? That's not something you do. You can't go, oh, I'm going to grow my eyelashes. When did you last trim your eyelashes? Never. Never. So that is a genetic freak. Yeah, but isn't that world's tallest man the same thing? That's true, actually. Because <laughs> yeah. I've been concentrating on growing. <laughs> I haven't managed much. What Five, about nine. those lovely fat fellas in a check suit? Who? Well, they're in the record books. The couple of lovely fella, fat fellas in a checkered suit oh, yeah, on a moped. Yeah. Don't you remember? You've been Guinness World of Records. Maybe you've been there in Hollywood. Maybe you've been there at the Trocadero. A couple of lovely fat fellas. Yeah, but whenever you read about the people like that, like the tallest man, mm. there's a terrible illness behind it. Robert Wadlow? Yeah, he wasn't... He, he was in pain. I know. He was, like, he was running been. around the world booting people and going, Hey, I'm the biggest guy ever! <laughs> it's great up he here, like, losers! Oh, my back! <laughs> <laughs> I got another bunion! This time it's on my knee! Yeah, they were in terrible, terrible distress. Now, this long fingernail woman who's got in there, she's in there for... Uh, this woman's in... Uh, for fingernails, she actually... Can... There must be a lot of stuff she can't do with those hands. Basically anything else. I mean, she could... Uh, she, all... she just sits around at home going... No. Um, come on, Frank. <laughs> you know I can't wipe my own butt. <laughs> oh, Frank. Just clutching a sponge. Look, if we lose up. these, we lose everything, Frank. <laughs> Look, so, Frank, I'm just growing these papers. I'm going to need you to reach under the fridge and get back my hair clip. That's the one thing you could do, tuts. That's all she's good for, is raking her nails down Cleaning someone's back. Radiators. Get down back behind the red. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a, everyone. The, the fellow with the upward. There's a fellow with upward hair. There's a man with a nice body, What's even though he's hair? old. Upward hair. 
Who's up with here, man? Look at him. Don't you remember Kid and Play from when we were kids? Blimey, that's not, oh, uh, like that's a high not top. The, yeah, yeah, that's like the highest high top, not yeah. upward hair. Here he, Benny Harlem, best upward hair, <laughs> 52 inches above Tallest the nuts. Tallest dog, right? Great Dane Freddy, belonging to Claire Stoneman of Leon C. Essex. Seven foot six on his hind legs, right? Mm. She's done nothing. <laughs> and her name's in there. She's just it watched the just dog say, grow. Great Dane Freddy of Leon C. Essex. All yeah. she's done is feed it. She's just stood idly by she's watching a dog grow. Yeah. And suddenly she's acknowledged by Norris job. I bet that's her job. To watch a dog grow. Just like be... No, she takes it around the world and shows it. Of course she does. And Great Danes, mate, they have perilously short lives. It'll be dead in five years. Really? So make hay while the sun shines. Tragically short. Like, as soon oh. as you've got used to it, it's popped off. Oh. This lady here, she's down uh, April Choi. She's whipped out the most Jenga blocks in one whip. So that's, uh, she's whipped out so many Jenga blocks. Look at her, she's, but she's really made a show of it. She looks absolutely terrific. She looks like someone from the future. She's got the colouring of the Cheshire cat I from just think, uh, like, that's Lewis a, she's Carroll's a show Wonderland. She's rehearsed that, she's done it on stage, that's blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's a thing that she... She's but practiced. Like, you can't have a tall dog and someone who's practised something, someone's stuck something in his head. Yeah. It needs to be rules. Well, this man's got a very tall bike. There's so a man what? in Belgium with a tall so bike. So what? This fella can blow up balloons like there's no tomorrow. But we will be talking to a cyborg, a man that's given over his scalp to technology, and finally he's getting the reward for it that he deserves. We're going to be talking to him, and also possibly we're going to be purchasing a utopia if we can get together enough money to buy it. You know how long I've wanted a utopia? Where now we've identified it. It's off the coast of Scotland, it's a lighthouse, and it's only got one or two troubling mysteries and murders <laughs> in its recent history. We could be living in a lighthouse. We're living on a prayer. All sorts of things are going to happen there. Once we've got our own landmass, we're going to see what I'm really all about. Also, we're going to have a little listen to... Someone wrote an anthem. Did you know that, Matt? An no. anthem was written. Oh, it's a good anthem. It's been For the written. show? No, I don't know what it is. I can't under begin to understand it. But before we get too deep, before we lose ourselves in mystery, in Al Gore's dot matrix wonderland, in like, I mean, I feel like a cyborg myself with 90% technology in this room. Why don't we take an advert <laughs> where it hurts? Russell Brand Radio X. That was a record, and whatever you thought about it, the people that made it would have been trying their hardest. So why don't you, instead of just watching a dog grow or your nails grow, get out there and create something. Whip off a Jenga block, whip off your top. Why don't you learn to do a band? Get in a band, for heaven's sake. Well, certainly, before we get deep into a cyborg, a man who's very much the future, the future of us all, let's leap back into the past with Jack from Liverpool. Dear Russ and Matt, he excludes you there, G, which, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, perhaps we'll see why as we get deeper into the email. Regarding your DNA debate a few weeks ago, endurance runners, far from being, as Matt claimed, cowardly custards sprinting through the plains, <laughs> were actually the chief hunters of any tribe. <clears throat> we tall, thin folk were so good at hunting down prey that the antelope's hooves would literally fall off because we'd chase them down for days, whereas great bulky people would often see her home staring at their own <laughs> sex organs. <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> this is just Jack from Liverpool. Humans are unique in the animal world because we can run long distances at a relatively fast pace due to us standing upright. Particularly you, Russell, your posture's brilliant. Whereas Matt looks like a man who's trying to diddle himself mouthwise. Most land animals... Stop lying, he most, didn't say that. Why? Why? Because he said diddle himself mouthwise. Yes. Think, why, who would say a thing like that? Exactly. You and only the you. The man pretending to read it. 
Quiet. So that's what he said. Most land animals being four-legged are like accordions when they run. They are, aren't they? Accordions? What, they go... They're having the time of their lives. Like accordions when they run. Each stride execrates air from their lungs and they end up slowing down massively after 15 seconds. For a visual image of this, imagine Matt chasing after a bowl of GM of gluten-free custard trying to snuffle it down his beardy gullet. So really, endurance runners are the true hunters, the real heroes of the past. And it is upon their... Nimble, noble shoulders that what we did he all really stand. Say? Uh, uh, None of this. He did. That's basically the gist of it. Oh, really? Is that I what added. It, I made yeah. it a bit better. It's interesting, yeah, because people used to hunt by chasing an animal that can't stop because it thinks oh, I'm being chased. Mm-hmm. It just keeps being chased until it collapses. So maybe you were part of that. <laughs> Good work, vegan boy. <laughs> I chased them down. Chasing them down like that, just bothering them, pestering them to death. <laughs> where, where was I? I was up on a mountain with a spear. One what shot. You? <laughs> you are not up on a mountain with a spear. Not with your asthma. Not of your ancestors. I have got asthma. Them poor wheezing wrecks worrying themselves sick about which bits of aloe vera to rub on which bits of their body and which peanuts they were allowed. It's just, that's just, it's all just gone wrong in the last generation. <laughs> One generation. You've, you've got ancestors reaching back to the dawn of time, trying their hardest, and here you are, muddling it all up. Well, we're finally going to put we're things gonna right. We're going to talk to the next evolutionary step. And the next evolutionary step is simply stitching. And Well, I mean, we'll, let's look. I say that we treat... Ask him how far into his head it goes. Oh, all right. Well, you'll be allowed to join in. Yeah, and ask him if, like, if he gets interference when he walks yeah. or when phones go off. Taxis and stuff. Neil Harbison is a Catalan-raised, British-born, contemporary artist and cyborg. Right, so we're going to... Look, I want to talk to him with respect, dignity. I want to talk to him about his ideas around art. He's founded a cyborg foundation with Moon Ribas. Moon Ribas... Wider than a mile. That's going to be my first question to the fella. Is he there, Neil? No, don't. Uh, just try I mean, I can't be... You've got a phone in your head and you can't answer the phone. I mean, what... What's... I think he's been hacked. I think he's been hacked right now. Imagine could be... if you become a cyborg and you get hacked. You're like, I don't want to go downstairs. And you're just being walked around by some kids. Trotted about by the mind of someone else. It's like being John Malkovich, his life. That's the risk. That's it. He took a risk. Neil thought of that? I want to know what this fella's... What he's up to. What makes him tick? Well, anyway, he's not there right now, so we can focus a little more on you. But like you said, actually, we're all cyborgs. Just because you haven't got your phone in your body, right? Mm. Think how much stuff you use your phone for. Yeah. It's a light. Yeah. It's communication. It's, it's got memory stored in it. Loads of stuff. Let's have a real conversation with a real cyborg, a man that we've been trailing throughout the show, a man who's perplexed us all, a man who's presented us with a moral challenge that's undone our very belief in society, and given that he's a contemporary artist, perhaps that was part of his motivation. Neil Harbison, are you there? Yes, hello. Neil, we were very disappointed that in spite of the fact that you've got the capacity to receive a a phone call inside your own consciousness, (laughs) we're calling you on a landline. What the hell are you thinking? (laughs) Yes, uh, I like the old-fashioned ways of communication. Well, that's not bloody... Why have you turned yourself into a cyborg? You like the old ways? Oh, no, mate, I like the old ways, me. You've bloody turned yourself into a robot. What was you thinking, Neil? I know. Um, <laughs> I, guess I do have a, a way know. of... Bye. Go on, Neil, go on. What was your motivation, mate? 
Um, well, I, I was interested in extending my perception of reality, and a way of doing it now is by merging with technology. So I was interested in having this antenna uh, implanted in my head so I could extend my perception of the spectrum. Mm, the spectrum, eh? Now, listen here, Neil. What, what, have you, what new information on reality have you received? And if it's just an amplification of, for example, the colour palette, is that a different perception of reality, or is it just a sort of an, an aesthetic tweak? Well, it's infrared and ultraviolet perception. It's, uh, it goes beyond what the human eye can sense. So, and I'm also sensing it through a new sensory input, which is a vibration inside the bone that becomes an inner sound. So it's a new sensory input that doesn't depend on my existing senses. So I see it as a new sense. Mm. And also, it, I have internet A lot of people see it as a nuisance. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a new sense. I, I get it. So if you see ultraviolet... It's C, in inverted commas, ultraviolet, in inverted commas. You feel a little bone twinge somewhere. What bone? Where do you feel it, Scott. Neil? In the the occipital, occipital bone. I don't see ultraviolet. I perceive ultraviolet through vibrations in my skull. There's also internet connection, which allows me to connect to satellites, which then means that I can sense colors from space. So it's a way of connecting to things that I cannot sense, basically. It's an organ that allows me to sense and to sense colours that go beyond my uh, visual spectrum. So, like the artist uh, Kandinsky, you're interesting in demonstrating sensory forms through different sensual media. Is that right? Mm, well, I see this as an art. The art of creating your own senses is an art. The art of creating your own organs is an art. Cyborg art, the art of designing your perception of reality. The only issue with cyborg art is that I'm the only one in the audience. I'm the only one experiencing this art because it's happening inside my brain. So that's uh, the main problem, I guess, that I can't really share my art because it's inside my body. But a way of sharing this experience is by creating artworks using this new sense. And I can do it through paintings or concerts or other traditional forms of art so that I can share the experience of uh, sensing this new but perhaps, uh, Neil, all of us are trapped in our own sensory prison, uh, trapped within our own consciousness. Perhaps all of us are unsure of how our audience are receiving information, although we occasionally get emails from our audience. Seems they don't really like it much. So, like, what you're going to do is you're going to create artworks that use extrasensory information that you are obviously uh, f fundamentally and empirically know your audience won't be able to receive because it's like going to have ultraviolet vibrations but you're going to be trying to convey new sensory information through what through music through visual art yeah well i mean i can uh, express uh, what i feel through this new sense in a way that other people can also sense it uh, but to me the main work of art cannot be shared which is the art of sensing uh, ultraviolet and infrared or the art of sensing, um, uh, well, the art of creating your own perception. It's, it's an artwork that is happening inside the mind of the artist, so in the way it, it's not possible to share it. So it's no. a bit of, you could say this post-art, because it's not following the traditional uh, art form, whether it's uh, artist, audience, and a space. In this case, it's all happening inside It's all happening the in the old brain box. Now, when they put that antenna down your head, did it hurt? Um, no, because uh, I had the local anaesthetic, so it didn't hurt the surgery. But yes, afterwards I had to get used to the to the new body part. I'm officially taller now because the antenna is part of my skeleton, so I had to get used to the height. I had to get used to the new sensory input. That was basically the the main problem, not the surgery. 
I see. Now, like, uh, you are a man that's very much from the future. We have a question now from the sort of the antithesis of a cyborg, someone that's like a Luddite reaching back into the past, fueled by technologies of Victorian Britain or perhaps even earlier than that, a man from the plains of the Serengeti when we were barely, barely human. Matt Morgan, let's reach across time. Perhaps the Earth's most primitive human questions the world's most advanced. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the first question I wanted to ask, Neil, was how far into your head does it go and how did you get a medical professional to do this for you? Well, this was not accepted by bioethical committees. I, I presented the antenna surgery to a bioethical committee, but they said it was not ethical to implant this antenna in my head because it goes beyond uh, the traditional vision of a human, also because it, it's, it's not a pre-existing body part, so it, they didn't find it ethical. So I had to find a doctor willing to do the surgery anonymously, and he was the one who drilled my head four times, so I would have four different uh, implants. Who was it? This is a trans... This is his anonymous. He's from Barcelona, basically. But this is a trans-species <laughs> surgery. Manuel. It's a trans-species surgery because it's the addition of a sense that is not traditionally human and also an organ that is not traditionally human. So in yeah. the same way that transgender surgeries were not accepted by bicycle committees uh, and it's still not accepted in some countries, in the future, I'm sure there will be countries accepting trans-species surgeries as well. So it, it will be ethical at some point. Yes, ah. it's the addition of senses and organs that are not traditionally human. Okay. And with ultraviolet light, so if you're in a club and there's one of those purple lights, does it hurt your head? You know those dandruff lights where you see sort of dandruff, the dandruff lights that makes people's teeth glow? Does that, <laughs> yes. Does yes. that give you a headache? Very high pitch. Yeah, they're very annoying. <laughs> what happens? Do you just go, ah! Does it hurt your head like... You'd have to leave. It, it's, uh, it's a very high pitch, but uh, connecting to the International Space Station, that's the most um, overwhelming experience because there's many, many ultraviolets in space, so the spectrum is very, very high-pitched, so it's mm -hmm. uh, very overwhelming just to sense the colours from space, basically. Are that's you going to have uh, any more uh, impediments uh, and appendages stitched into your beingness, mate? Yes. What? Yeah, just what else? This, uh, the solar crown, I, I call it, it's a, it's a sensory organ for the sense of time. We all have a, a sense of time, but we don't have an organ for the sense of time. So it's going to be uh, inside my uh, skin, uh, in, on the head, and it's going to go around like a crown, and it will give me a point of heat that will take 24 hours to go around. So it, the complete circle around my head will take 24 hours. So this will give me an organ for the sense of time and I want to check if uh, I can in some years modify my perception of time if I want time to go a bit slower I'll make the point of heat go a bit slower or if I want time to go a bit faster I'll make it go a bit faster mm -hmm. so it's basically taking Albert Einstein's theory of time relativity into practice by creating an organ for the sense of time mm -hmm. and then see if we can create optical uh, illusions or well, not optical in this would be uh, like time illusions Neil you uh, are an absolute darling you're meddling with intersubjectivity and it seems to me you need a bloody good cuddle now what do your mum and dad make of all this um well they didn't like it at the beginning but now they are used to it and I, uh, but I'm happily, um, I'm living with a cyborgs, fellow cyborgs, Moon Rivers. She has a chip in her body that allows her to feel earthquakes. And since last week, she also has 
two chips in her feet that allow her to feel moonquakes. So her feet are connected to the moon. So she feels the... Your feet chips connected to, yeah. <laughs> head chips. And then uh, chips Manel as well. He feels uh, atmospheric pressure changes. So Where you all living, mate? Catalonia. By... You're all living in Catalonia. Uh, like exactly, you're... yes. And you're all a cyborg community and you're reaching out for new senses. In a way, you are robot pioneers. You are find, trying to find new realms. But is it working? Are you happier now than you was before you uh, were able to get intra, in ultraviolet tremors? Well, we feel more, much more connected to nature and to other species. So uh, that's what makes us uh, happy. I guess we feel that we can perceive reality in a deeper way. Mm. And uh, that does make us happy because uh, there's so much we cannot sense that exists uh, that uh, through technology we can actually sense a part mm. of nature that was uh, unaccessible for us. I think that's a very, very beautiful idea that our perception of reality is, yes, governed by senses and governed by culture and I think it's a, in a, a way a very brave thing you've done. Now, what, how has your understanding of nature and reality changed? Do you feel warmer to other human beings? Do you want to give them a nice ultraviolet cuddle or do you feel, oh, look at them, those big pork pigs just lumbering about, not understanding ultraviolet and infrared? Well, I feel more connected to other species. That's why I like defining myself as a trans species, not as a human. The definition of human no longer defines me. In the definition of human, there's no antenna as an organ. There's no infrared and ultraviolet perception. So defining myself as a trans species then makes me feel more comfortable. I feel that I have many more connection with other species now. I can share infrared perception with my cat for example if i see my cat staring at the wall and i sense this infrared between the cat and the wall i know that the cat is probably staring at the infrared not at the wall or mm. i can uh, understand insects that go at specific flowers if i sense there's a high level of ultraviolet there so i have a connection with other species that i didn't have before i can also feel a much closer connection with the cosmos if i connect to satellites i can sense the colors from space so it connects me with reality in a way that it didn't before so becoming a cyborg doesn't make you feel closer to machines. Uh, in my case and in uh, other people's case, it makes us feel closer to nature and to mm. other species. I understand. It's given you a conduit to different aspects of nature and the vehicle by which that, that data is delivered isn't determining the experience. That's very interesting. Go on, Matthew's got <coughs> another question from you from the Stone Age. When, the, um, when you sleep, does the antenna sticking out of your head, like, does it, is it annoying when you're asleep? And also, if you're on a bus or something, could someone pull it and would it hurt? Yeah, I sleep with the antenna because it's part of my skeleton and I have, as I said, internet connections so people can also send colors to my head and there's five people that have permission to send colors to my head so sometimes they send colors at night. When this happens, uh, they either wake me up or they color my dreams. So if someone starts sending blue colors while I'm asleep, my dream suddenly becomes blue or my dream takes me to the sea or to the sky. So my friends can actually influence my dreams or they can color my dreams. And yeah, having an antenna uh, has a social reaction. I've, I've had it for, since 2004, and I've been out in the street, and it's, it has created a uh, social reaction. Some people just laugh at me, oh. or some people try to pull the antenna, or some people just ask what it is. And uh, usually it's drunk women who try to pull the antenna, so I try to avoid <laughs> drunk The drunk women, women they give you a tug on the antenna, the saucy sausages. Of course they do. There you are, up <laughs> down less Ram Blast, and they're tugging away at your antenna, interfering with your ultraviolet and meddling with your blue dreams. Is it I painful see. if it's pulled? Oh, no, it's like pulling an arm or pulling um, oh, okay. an ear. It's not that, you know. 
Before you had the antenna, did you feel that you didn't fit in with society anyway? I'm like looking at the picture of you and, and hearing you talk. You're clearly an artist, and and I identify with you as a an outsider, a person that's always felt a little bit unusual. Did you feel unusual, say, when you was a kid? Yes, yes. So um, it hasn't. Uh, yet. Now that I'm a cyborg, I also don't fit yet in society. But I'm sure that uh, I will fit. I'm thinking the 2020s will see many more people with new organs and new senses, and in the 2030s there'll even be more. I think we society needs to get ready to the fact that people will start deciding what senses and organs they want to have, and it will become mm. normal to meet people with new organs and new senses very soon, and people who start defining themselves as trans species will also become more and more normalized, I think. I wonder that if the te technology is one way of gaining access to this extrasensory information, but when you read William Blake, it seems like that fellow that was seeing angels in trees in Peckham and experiencing different colours, the way that perhaps Rothko seemed to or Kandinsky appeared to. Perhaps there are different ways other than te technology of accessing sensory experiences that are beyond what we would call the realm of, in inverted commas, normality. So do you think that art and indeed religious experience is another way of accessing it and that might be another way of changing what we determine normal and being a sort of a way for uh, weirdos like you, like I, to hold hands beneath the surface? Yes, there's many ways. One of uh, one way is uh, um, chemi with chemicals. You can uh, uh, probably alter your perception. Also, with uh, cybernetics. But uh, my aim would be to um, 3D print this antenna with my own DNA, for example, and also genetically modify myself so that I can add these new senses. I wouldn't like to use uh, technology. My aim would be to to have this antenna um, uh, with my own DNA. But this is still not possible, but it will be in the next decades to 3D print new organs <coughs> with your own DNA. Neil, do you think it's a danger or does it excite you, the idea that someone might have a, a weapon implanted, like a laser gun in their mind that comes out of their um, It wouldn't be very wise to, to merge with something that you'll use uh, as a negative or to harm people because... People who want to do that usually try to separate themselves as much as possible from the, the weapon. So I don't think mm, we'll see right. many examples. Yeah, it's not like Robocop, Matt, where you can be sort of a cyborg with a, like a, like where you're part human, part dustbin, romp, rampaging around the streets of New York dispensing justice. What nearly wants to dispense is art and information from another dimension. And if dimensions are only experienced through the senses, he's already doing that. Yeah, but that. the technology might get abused by the wrong people. Well, we'd have to insert that one of them wires in our head before they start giving us purple dreams or giving us a bone rattle in the middle of the night. And to tell you the truth, I'd welcome a bone rattle any time of the day or also, night. Also, Neil, are you worried about hackers? Like, could someone hack your system? If you can receive emails, are you at risk of hacking? Yeah, well, through all these years, I've only been physically hacked once. So someone without permission was able to hack me and send images to my head. Uh, what they so send? I was physically hacked. Uh, but I actually liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I was hacked and I liked it. <laughs> what, what sort of pictures did they send? Uh, it was a selfie. Someone, someone uh, sent a, uh, an image of his face and then I, I, I 
sense this face in my head. Oh, wow. that's amazing. I like you. You're an unusual fella. But if you ever find yourself in London, we suggest you get right onto our radio station and give us a bloody good cyborg cuddle where flesh, metal and extrasensory information entangle in a glorious rainbow of experience. Neil, it's really lovely to have you on. You're a really uh, uh, lovely, sweet, pioneering and unusual man. And what better thing is there to be in this crazy upside-down, inside-out world? Thanks, Neil. Thank you, Russell. See you later, Cheers, mate. mate. Good luck out there. See Take you. care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, he was really sweet, wasn't he? He's so lovely. What a lovely fellow. Well, I like do you the know way. what you didn't do? What didn't I do? Didn't sexualise I was going to, actually. What I was going to say is, <laughs> do you sometimes think of your antennae as an extra head winky? <laughs> <laughs> I think, but, we, but I think I thought, he wouldn't have taken that word. No, I don't. He was a sensitive man. He was, because he was a little bit like he Andy Kaufman. He got hacked, someone sent him a selfie. I liked it. I got hacked, but I liked it. I, I thought his worldview was pretty interesting. Why don't we have an advert and uh, and then see where we wind up? What are you saying, G? No, I was going to say, you know when you talk about um, Terminator, Rise of the Machines? Oh, yes, yes. You know when they go back to the point in time where they develop that new technology? He's that. He might be that. He is that. That's what I'm saying. Honestly, no. if he gets far down the road with this... Before you know it, oh, yes, I've had a new thing oh. where I can grow really long fingernails and scratch your eyes <laughs> out in the middle of the night in infrared. Old uh, not Neil Harbison, he's an absolute no, bloody sweetheart. Be, yeah, but someone, someone will, will hack him. Hack him and he'll be going, Oh, sorry about <laughs> I'm so sorry I about apologize. that. <laughs> oh no. That's a lot of experience for you. There's a drunk woman. <laughs> Get your hands that for me. That's my head winking. <laughs> okay, now we're going to experience a different type of reality through a new sense, what I call the inside of your nut. Here is an adverb. Dear Britain, we know you can't wait to take off again to the people and places you love, to feel the sun on your face and the sand down your shorts, or just read and read and read until you feel happy and glorious once more. Take off to Europe from £39 each way. British Airways, made by Britain. T's and C's apply, limited availability, price based on a return fare departing London Heathrow in September. See ba.com slash late for details. This is Radio X. Russell Brand. Welcome back to Russell Brand on Radio X. It's only a little way into the show. We've already spoke to someone so bloody futuristic, it's blown my little mind. I loved him, Neil Harbison. I thought he was a wonderful fellow. <clears throat> yes. I wasn't taking a mickey. Why are you defending yourself then? Well, you... I felt like some of my questions were flippant. Has but... someone grabbed your head, Winky? But those are the things I think. And yeah. actually, they all elicited good information. Yes, it's mostly drunk women up and down Las <laughs> Ramblas. I was in Spain the other day and someone grabbed me by my mind. Yeah, I mean, I thought he was, he was really interesting, wasn't he? And sort of sweet and lovely. And I started, as it went on, I felt more and more warmth to him. I'd like to send him a selfie to his head. But trans species... I mean, look, it's challenging to those of us that sort of look at the world in traditional ways, like to sort of hear people talk about stuff like that, isn't it? Just stuff well, that will come a time where... I think South Park did an episode where the teacher says that he's half dolphin. Oh, oh yes. yeah. And then he goes yeah. like, well, now I need my own bathroom. Like, there's a men's bathroom, a women's bathroom, and a part dolphin bathroom. You know, like, Nick sort of... is them. They're quite right-wing, aren't they? Right-wing libertarians. Yeah, I mean, I think they're of... interesting. I think they, de they defy categorisation, those two, because sometimes they say things that you think, God, that's so beautiful and yeah. truthful, and then they'll say something that's bloody terrifying, yeah. you know? So I, I, I think... I, when I'm thinking about them, I think their only ideological faith is comedy. I think they just care yeah. about comedy. They're no, so, but sort of I watched one off. once, and they were talking about AA. I know, and they were going, Yeah, they were just saying, look, just have one drink. 
That's yeah. the thing. Just have one or two drinks and oh, it yeah. completely un- doesn't misunderstands and, um, the whole thing of addiction. But me with people that are comedians like that, that I've sort of I feel like they've invested so much, I think oh, I don't mind what you say, you've given over so much joy. Yeah, no, I think people should be allowed to say things that aren't, you know, completely right, and then everyone can just... I know, we've got to be able to make mistakes. Otherwise, where are we in this crazy crucible of uh, You get one chance, and it's like, you said the wrong thing. It should always be hit or miss. Game over. The the attempt to be funny should always be defended. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think in itself it brings, uh, like, it has a value. All right, so, like, over the course of this show, you will be hearing 18 minutes of adverts. You've probably heard about half of those. You'll be hearing about six songs. You'll be speaking to... We will be speaking to you. Won't be unless you found unless you are a cyborg and that you can somehow intersect with our broadcast. You'll just be listening, Matt. I'm watching you eat those crisps like you're at school. How is that crisps? (laughs) It's a banana. He's holding up a banana. You know, like I remember from school watching someone sucking crisps. Like when people think, "Oh no, I've put a crisp in my mouth." (laughs) Try to break it down with your saliva. But sometimes that's more enjoyable. I remember like eating some crispy like that. Well, you just mm. have to suck them so the teacher can't tell. I fetishised every type of food that I ate. When when I eat a Malteser, I like to nibble off its little... A Malteser, you mean? A Malteser. A Malteser. <laughs> <laughs> I like to nibble off its little chocolate jacket till its honeycomb is uh-huh. all exposed. <laughs> Majesty, ah, many were the nights when I'd find Imagine. myself on yes. those flagstone <laughs> floors, oh peeling the I'll chocolate. Eat my banana. <laughs> we goes on for about eight minutes. <laughs> No, go on. What was he going to say about me and my no, Maltese? Oh, I've never seen anything uh, um, like that outside of erotic content on Elephant Bourbon Tube. biscuits. What, what was your Firstly, a bourbon biscuit is a rip-off in itself. They're Why? a dirty little biscuit. I Why? feel cheated. Look, a custard, because I think they're an apology for a biscuit. But did you leave it apart and tooth out the goodness? Yeah, I'll tooth out your you goodness, did. mate. I'll What's s- the point? All the goodness is gone, then you've got to eat the dry biscuits. No, no, because then the mouth's all been prepared, mate. <laughs> I've coated the goblet with all sorts of gubbins, then. Penguin, same ja- technique. Jammy Dodger, how would you? A jammy Dodger, I would lick that jam straight out the oh, centre. Oh, you couldn't. It was Mate, too I tough. Would suck it. It was you like don't... red plastic. My tongue is so nimble and so potent and powerful. Oh. There's no limit to what it can do. And you've actually, for once, reminded me of something that's useful. Where's that thing about donuts, for God's sake? Oh, Apparently, a donut is a powerful thing, Matthew. Ma- oh, hold on a minute, where's my papers? Oh, God, what's wrong with you? Worker, are you Roswell? Hold on a second. Scientists, now. <clears throat> Look at your big, your cheeks are all wadded up with bananakins. That so offensive. Scientist reveals the real reason it's pretty much impossible to eat a donut without licking your lips. Scientist Nathaniel Davis has revealed that it's due to the powerful combination of our super sensitive rep and the immediate reward of the delicious sugar. So the trap is set and resistance is futile. So when you eat a little donut, mate, and you get those little sugary lips, I'd like to see you make your I'm way through a donut. I'm gluten-free, so I can't eat a donut. There must be I remember it, though. Yeah, do you remember getting little sugary lipsies? Yeah, and you have to lick it off. But can I? the, the point of problem? this and the truly horrifying thing is mm. this man's a scientist... The oceans mm. are full of plastic. There's mm. global warming. Mm. There's nuclear weapons. Yeah. And what's he doing? Oh, this is why you have to lick your lips when you eat a donut. Why did you become a scientist to to, to do that? I needed to know, mate. I needed to know why people are licking at their lips. 
completely pointless studies. I tell you, they only it, ever get used on radio look, shows as <laughs> content. <laughs> and now uh, we're doing some research. What are you doing? Just lazy content? <laughs> lazy content for radio shows. Now, listen, though, mate. No, hold on. Because what it is is they use these bits of these superficial tidbits about sugary lip licking just to tease us. If you carry on with the article, you'll find there's some deeper meaning. And if there isn't one, I'll find it anyway. Multi-sensory expert... Davis explains why the challenge is so tricky. Our lips are really sensitive, so when we eat a donut and the sugar gets round our mouths, the brain reacts quickly. Now, this man's a pioneer. He's a pioneer, mate. He's as much a pioneer as someone with an aerial down their head or a man flogging an He's island. Not. It's right. not. Sugar absorbs the natural moisture on our lips, and this means our natural instinct is to immediately lick them. We also know that sugar increases serotonin levels, the chemical that controls how happy we feel, and we're naturally predisposed to want to eat sweet things. Honestly, this doesn't really all he's anything. actually come out with is if Bloody there's something on your stuff. lips, you lick it off because yeah. it's mm. there, right? And also, he's just sugar added nice. Also, sugar makes you feel happy, so that's why we do it as well. How long did you spend doing this, Nathaniel Davis? Nathaniel Davis. Oh, just the standard eight months. <laughs> Wait a second. Whoa. Well, yeah, it's, you're right. He's dabbling in the futile, the fella, isn't he? Yeah, well, you think, like, in the next lab along, someone might have been trying to cure cancer. Mm. I, wouldn't, I don't reckon they they'd go, have them on the same corridor. I bet they are. They're not going to have Nathaniel down the same they corridor as the fella that's go, working on oncology. Well, you know when you get sugar on your <laughs> Well, we found a bespoke uh, a- antiviral thing using the cancer itself. You lick it off! <laughs> <laughs> and you will always lick it off. Nathaniel, Look no. at your lab. <laughs> what we've discovered, Nathaniel, is that in the cancer itself is the cure I'm for... I'm not listening. <laughs> oh, Nathaniel, Eat this donut! <laughs> Nathaniel, you've got something on your lips there, Nathaniel. Oh, oh no. <laughs> My life's work ruined. <laughs> Why have you not sugar? All over? It's like your lips have been fried. <laughs> waste of time. Absolute waste of time. Hold on, but let's try to think of what Nathaniel could have been doing. Like, what possibly could... It could be about impulses and instincts and lack of choice. And the He's way a multi-sensory they're... expert, right? Mm. He could have been doing something with Neil Harbison. He could have been. Putting he could a have pipe been... in his mind. He could have been mind-piping Neil Arbison to within an inch of his life, blasting him with infrared or some even new colours, what we ain't even come up with yet. But instead of that, he's got little sugary cheeks. Can I just... You know, like, when people... Are you a hand licker when you're eating? Hold on a minute. Let me have a snack. Well, I'll be right you, back to you. I don't think you are. No, I wouldn't lick my hand, mate. I'm not a pervert. I see people... I, if I'm eating something, I yep. will not lick it off my hands. Especially right. if I'm out in public. Yeah. I need... Actually, I'm definitely not, because I need numerous napkins for any meal. Because I do like to eat food with my hands. I love it. I feel more connected to it if I've touched it. Once when I was in India, as many times I was, as you know, I'm a spiritual man, I was with these people, and, like, they were... It was surprising, because we were at a university, and they was elegant as all hell. This woman, well done up in a nice sari, and she was a professor, and when she was talking to me about metaphysics and scripture and all that, it was high, high-quality gear. Then we had a dinner together, and it was rice and that, and, like, rice and curry. And, like, I would eat... Uh, party or poppadom or that sort of stuff that we in the West would class as finger food. Of course, I ate that with my hands, but she was eating rice and yeah, curry yeah, just with her hands. Yeah, That's yeah. just the culture. With one hand. Just the culture. With one hand. And I was like, I was, my, my, I had to sort of rein in my, my mental prejudices. I wish I'd had Neil Harbison's mind monitoring because it would have taught me a, a lesson or two. Did they offer you a fork as a Westerner? 
Here you simpleton, why don't you use this? Um, no, uh, no, I think I ate mine with my sticky little fingers. But like, uh, when I, I've never liked it. Even when I was a little boy, I didn't like having sticky fingers. And one of my girlfriends that I lived with once, Kerry, she was called, she was a doctor. She said well, her earliest memory of me was me holding my thumb in an unusual way to conceal possibly the dust off a dry roasted peanut that I'd got onto my thumb. What a shame. No, not shame, mate. Just, oh, yeah, maybe it was shame. Oh, God, I don't want anyone to see this oh. peanut dust. Oh, look I'll be at finished old... at this drama school. <laughs> look at old dusty thumb. No one cares about no, I mean, like, the I'll eat, I'm happy to eat, like, tacos or something mm-hmm. like that with my hands, right? Mm-hmm. But those people who lick their hands, like... They're the same people who, when you're at primary school in assembly, sitting cross-legged, would lick their finger and polish their own shoes. <laughs> Dirty devils, and then put the finger back in their in mouth. mouth. and do the other shoe. Oh, Not even shoe listening gubbins. to the reverend's speech. <laughs> Oh, you! Look at you in your silky little bloomers. I'd push them in the back. Listen to him. Stop cleaning your shoes. Don't clean your booties. The Lord is listening. <laughs> yeah, you're right about them. The hand lickers of this lickers. world. And look at KFC. Their whole logo. Finger licking good. Oh, it's finger licking good. This stuff. Here, have a big bucket of that, and then give your fingers a lick. If I've got stuff on my fingers, I'll wash it off. I won't lick it off. I'd dip it in a fountain. Well, if there's one around. Dip it in a fountain. Yeah, but you know, fountain water's filthy. It's a sign of wealth. Do a study on that, I've Nathaniel. Done one. Nathaniel, stop licking your lips. You'd like those people who, as a prank, you know, like mm-hmm. art terrorism. Yep, art, art, art. Art, mainly, more than terrorism. Yeah, there's Let's call people, it guerrilla art. Guerrilla art. They had what do these, you mean, they had a backpack full of, like, bubble bath with a tube, yeah. right? They sit at the uh, fountain, like in London or yeah. wherever, and they... Slowly, leak bubble bath into slowly. it and slowly it would go and, and it would fill up streets Fluffy, that's fluffy. Art. that's art froth and bubbles suddenly the mundane is all foamy and lovely and you're looking at the world in a different way but nowadays they go it's a chemical attack hey <laughs> man there's foam in our streets baby and they go into lockdown and they say that too much mm. it's in lockdown that just means they've closed something and you're not allowed to go in there Language is a peculiar thing, mate, and what we do need is more public art. We do need great rivers of foam running down our streets. Matt, what are you doing? No, don't do that. That was Every, a natural pause. It was not a natural pause. Do you know what my girlfriend thinks? Wife. You know what my wife thinks? Girlfriend. You know what my girlfriend thinks? Wife. You know what my yeah. wife thinks? Girlfriend. Do they know about each other? No, they don't. It's very embarrassing at bath time. I don't know who to turn to for a spongy. Ducky, ducky. Ducky, ducky. Uh, my wife says... That uh, liter- she thinks, my wife, that literature is to make you fall asleep. Like, that's the point of literature. So she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I do like that Moby Dick that you read me sometimes. It really gets me off to sleep nicely. I go, no, that literature isn't... And she went, and the point, that's the point of a good book, isn't it? To make her sleep. I go, no, darling. You've been married about two weeks and you're already reading to her to get her to sleep. <laughs> now, listen, dear. Ahab that's not what she signed up for. Confronts her. That is something really exciting <laughs> we've got. The Hound of the Baskervilles. <laughs> upstairs right now. <laughs> Quick, don't worry about having a bath. Chop, chop! Chop, chop! Because in this one, Holmes confronts the beast on the board. Yes? I, was, I was thinking we might actually do something a little bit more intimate. No, no! Oh, what do you mean? Peter okay, Woodhouse. you can read the page numbers. Let's go! Now, listen to me, my dear, because Proust is going to explain to you that the stink of a cakey wake could take you back to yesteryear. Under the duvet! She does, Under so the duvet. she does. She thinks that books are... 
to make things you doze off. Well, why is that? Because, because I'm childhood. Boring. Is that what you're saying? No, but did she think that before she married I've read you? her Woodhouse. I've read her Melville. I've read her T.S. Eliot. I'm hitting her with some of the greats, mate. Do you keep and every going single when one of them making her doze off. Yes, I do. Because <laughs> I could just go. Because it's yeah. about you, baby. I just say it at old oven me that lives behind the glass window in the corner of the dresser. Hello, Ava Russell. <laughs> We've lived together a long time now, me and Yuzi. Me and Yuzi in our brogue shoesies, trying to see different colours. That's quite a lovely image of you putting your wife to sleep with a story. Thanks, mate. I'm trying my best to be a good man these days. After something that I'm calling an advert... I'm going to tell you something about me that's going to surprise you, Matthew Morgan. Surprise and excite you. And it's nothing to do with sex. Here's the advert. Russell Brand. This is Radio X. Matt, I'm very sorry. Uh, oh. <laughs> I've got nothing interesting to tell you. I just said that because it seemed like a good way to go into an no, advert. No, you have to come All right. good on that, promise. Hold on, hold on. No, I must don't, don't make me come up with something just so you can guzzle down yet more potassium. Big croffles Don't come up stuff. with something fake. You're like Tarzan. Yeah, I am, actually. Thank you. Move All right, on. that monkey you lived with. No, you can't change it. You're like Jane. <laughs> Go on then, tell me something that I like you've never Jane. told anyone about yourself. Come on, love. All right, all right. Um, <laughs> listen to this. Too good to miss. Former worker, and that's what he was, claims that a US base is home to living and dead aliens found at the Roswell crash site. A secretive US airbase is home to hordes of dead and alive aliens. Wanted! Kept in tunnels underground. You're like that a bit. Claims an engineer who worked there for nearly 40 years. I knew it, Matt. Mm. I knew they were dead and alive aliens. Wanted. For the first time ever, a worker at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base... He's publicly spoken about the alleged goings-on. <laughs> I, like I like the phrase goings-on. There's goings-on there, my man. I see a dead and alive alien. Goings-on. Well, goings-on. There's a dead and alive alien slumped up over there in the corridor. I mean, they say it's just, um, you know, sort of futuristic aircraft they're testing. Mm. And so it helps them to have that fake story. Yeah, that's what Adam Curtis says. But... There's some. What about that disclosure project? When you watch that, so sometimes you go on a YouTube binge and watch stuff about aliens. Mm. There's loads of like retired generals and like like military commanders and people go, yes, we knew all about it. And there there are aliens, and yeah. they want the government to release the information. And you see people in like World War Two flying things again. Oh yeah, we called them muzzle buckers. They were yeah. always up there flying around the yeah. clouds. We see them every day. There's when some we interesting there. stuff. There's a couple of things that happened in South Africa where loads of children. That a UFO landed, supposedly, and some beings got out, and they're like the classic-looking aliens. Loads of kids and loads of people from the town as well saw it and drew pictures. The kids drew the pictures, right? Mm. They all look the same, and all the kids, there's interviews with the kids going, yeah, we saw it, they got out, and they weren't nice, they were threatening. You know, mm. you know it's like this weird case. And there's a few things where you think, this must be something in it, and then you sort of... Go and make your tea, and then you forget about it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, uh, you, the tea is the distraction here. Like uh, someone said to me that, like you know, like sort of given the, the known quantity of the universe, that life isn't a miracle, but life is inevitable, statistically inevitable, because the chances of life are one in whatever, and the yeah. number of planets and solar systems is this vast. But but by the same token, then it's likely that there's other organic, conscious, sentient life forms buzzing around in the in the universe. And as you know me, I'll leap aboard any old mysterious claptrap. Yeah. Grab it by the throat, but and then if you believe the that this uh, reality, as they now reckon, 
is just a projection, a holographic projection. That's why two molecules can do the same thing because they're actually being projected from one place, right? Mm. So if reality is not real, then UFOs and stuff like that is all just part of the fakeness of it all. Uh, the only thing is with that kind of uh, simulation idea uh, that e- Elon Musk and a lot of those Silicon Valley whiz kids are coming up with these days. <laughs> I love them. Is it's precisely the same as what it just says in the Bhagavad Gita, except for the word computer. It's all an illusion. Really? It's taking place in your consciousness. None of it's real. Don't get caught up in the material world. It's a kind of a conjecture from a supreme intelligence that we are only experiencing one aspect of, but it's limitless. So it's, it just becomes a semantic if difference. If the UFO landed on the White House lawn, the as South they always lawn. say, would you immediately feel fear or hope? I think, I think I'd go, mm, bloody hell. I think you'd rush right to the front. I knew this was going to happen. Right, everyone, I'm in charge of that. Right. I'm in charge of that. Nobody talked to them until I have. Right, guys, it's me, Russell. You probably know me from when you baby jesus me into my mummy's belly. <laughs> now, what do you want me to say to this lot? Because some of them are real ignorami. Me and Jim Kerry <laughs> will take care of Russia and Africa. I don't know who wants to have America. I won't touch it. Mm-hmm. But when you were a kid, didn't a floating ball of light come in your bedroom a few times? What have I told you about my floating ball of light endowing me with a great mystery. I've told people that. He said it on the radio show. But but more fascinating, I think, is that a floating ball of light used to come in your room, drunk, (laughs) at Christmas. (laughs) Hello, Uncle Floating Ball of Light. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. It's happening again. Graham gone with my torch? (laughs) (laughs) It came again, Mum. It's the cuddly light ball. (laughs) Ball of light used to come in your bedroom. Yeah. I know. I, well, I did it one. And it used to bend time. Sometimes I'd find myself in another place where I don't remember having out to got there, down at oh, the bottom of the upstairs. So, uh, well, yeah, as a lad, once in a while, in would come the old green, glimmering orb of somethingness. Through the window pane? No, it just comes in. In it comes. It doesn't care through about the, matter. It's in the house. It comes through the door. There it is, the old green orb. Just floating around, conveying its meaning. Vaguely green, but not an actual colour so as you would think of it. Floating right. about, conveying its wisdom wordlessly, and off it would go again. What would it convey? I don't know what it wanted from me. I think it told me that I was to become one of the world's great shove-offs and get out there <laughs> and shout my mouth off. But to hold on a minute, never mention the old secret green tennis ball of wonder. I think perhaps possibly it was a swing ball set. <laughs> no, you're being like... Being glib. You are being glib. Of course I'm being Something glib. Something used to come in your bedroom that was a great big ball of light. It wasn't great and big. It was quite a lovely little guy. The reason I'm being glib about it is because otherwise I might sound like I'm insane in the membrane on the very week that I launched recovery. <laughs> Freedom for your addictions from a self-confessed man. By Russell Brand and his sidekick, Greebob, <laughs> the ball of light. Now, Greebob's given me some real secrets. He's told me that we must never worry about no drugs. You're right, though, Matt. It's a fine, damn it's a fine, fine book. fine book and a lovely oh. segue. Come on, why don't you have a little read of it and see what words of wisdom. Now, don't criticise it too much because uh, sales have got to be good to keep us on the up and up. See what you find in there. And while Matt's doing that, I'll tell you that coming up in the show, we're going to be talking to David Collin from Little Ross Island. I won't read out his phone number. What's the point in that? This He's going to tell us about you typing on. serious. Why, what bit did you find? Did you find a serious bit? Just, uh... You took the bit... You've always taken the mick out of my most serious things. Listen to this. We'll get this utopian island. What's this? Michelle. I disagree with Michelle here. Who's that? Oh, Michelle Foucault. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's that? Page something? 22 or something? Yeah, I've already... You're already dissing 
Michelle Foucault. Yep, the post-structuralists, they're getting bought oh, down a peg or two. I disagree with Michelle here, mostly on the basis of my personal experience with distinct and seemingly transcendent aspects of my own consciousness. Yeah. And not only while off my nut on drugs. Yeah, just in case you thought I weren't working class enough because I mentioned Michelle right Foucault. I was off my nut on drugs. Well, yeah, Michelle, I was off my nut. Oh, please, Russell, get away from me. I disagree with you, Michelle. Yeah. It's actually it's Michelle, a good book. I'm not going to take Michelle Fowler out, from EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> About the burning She's down of the Dagmar. Oh, she bloody well is. Susan Tully? Susan oh, Tully? What's she been in recently? I'll tell you what Where's she's she been going in. to move to Netflix? She's been in an orb of light floating around in my child's bedroom in front of my spaceman's... Hold on a minute, what's that wallpaper? Space stations, spacemen, Did orbs you? of light. Yeah, little spacemen, I never you liked it. You were taking it. all your ideas from your wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> what was your wallpaper made of? Cruelty! Mine was Superman. I had Superman bedspread. Superman bedspread. Yeah. And... I had a whole Superman bedroom and it, it was unveiled to me and my little brother who was on the lower bunk and I <laughs> fell off the top bunk on the first night and got concussion. <laughs> and was in hospital for two days. And not a single superpower did you get it as a result? Do two you know days in hospital. Mum, Maybe that's what's made you all, all unusual, darling. I think it might. That's why I have back problems, I think. No, mind problems. <laughs> Never mind the back. Oh, yeah, no, that's, it's the front that's oh, your yeah, problem, ruined. mate. Your back I used to say to my mum, mm-hmm. I've got a green, I've got an evil power inside me and it tries to come out. Right, mm. and then she, I think it's the green ball of light that used no, to come and see me. It was heartburn. I used to get, <laughs> and it used to like, and I just she, her mum, dad were obviously a bit concerned. You always medicalise the mystery, it, and they and I said it was this like hot burning stuff that sort of comes up in my throat, and they said, oh, that's just normal. Everyone, has I that. think it was I fine. It, it was, was venom. Power. I think it was not an evil power. I think it's the devil, my man, who's got his found his way. Old Lucifer, I thought at the time, got down into your gutty. Butt. I also once had a, f- a flu so bad. You know, when you got it in your like delirious. Oh yeah, nice. And I woke up in the night laughing, and my mum came in and was like, "What are you laughing at?" And I was like. <laughs> And I'd been shown the mystery of the universe, and I remember it. Go on. And it was like, I was in space, Explain and there was this being. Don't look at the clock. <laughs> no, this better be, because I already know about the mysteries of the universe. And then this, But this being showed me all these graphs and stuff, and explained everything to me. I was only about seven or eight, right? Oh, and it was so simple and ridiculous that I was laughing. Like, And he was laughing as well, and he was going, this is all it is. And I was laughing and laughing, and then suddenly my mum was waking me up, going, what's the matter with you? And I was like, it's so simple, Mummy. It's, it's, it's basic so simple, maths. the universe. I remember, the, I remember seeing the graphs. I remember what it looked like when he was explaining it. You saw sort of a matrix of reality revealed to you by a chuckling trickster madman. And then you wonder why you were drawn to Russell Brand, yeah, yeah, whose socks are right up to the calf. <laughs> You're right, mate. I think basically what we're saying is loads of people had weird childhoods where they had imaginary things happen. And what is the nature None of, of imaginary? Real, Hold on a sec, because if we learned anything from Neil Harbison, and we didn't, it was that the nature of reality is received through the senses. So with extrasensory tools, if they're, whether they're technological or transcendent psychological tools, you might receive different forms of reality. Now, like... Like, you know, sometimes when I'm doing my old yoga, what I do, sometimes there's a couple of positions where you go upside down, right? And you're upside down for a while. When you stand back up, like, it's like the secular and mechanical explanation would be, I feel a bit dizzy. But during that, what you would call feel a bit dizzy, it feels like my, the actual ticking of my personality, you know, and my, Mm. I remember that I'm this and this is what I believe in, stopped. And momentarily, there's the revelation of some other consciousness that's extremely vivid and real for a moment. But then you sort of get your breath back and you go, oh, no, that weren't nothing much. Do you see what I mean? Because it 
doesn't sort of almost belong on this frequency. So I think that all of us have an awareness and, and, and access to, through our dreams or through sort of other forms of transcendent experience, a different type of reality. And I think that's what our man Neil Harbison is trying to do. He's trying to materialise yeah. and mechanise the idea of transcendence. That book, The Demon, that I read, mm. or half read and then got freaked out, D-A-E-M-O-N, yeah. it says that there's two beings in your head. Uh-huh. And you're, there's one that's sort of dealing with the day-to-day and then there's the demon that's just sort of sitting back. Not demon in a dark, evil yeah. way. Just an, a, a bigger essence, being entity. that can't actually do much. It can't really interact with your it's hands. It's not practical. It's not, no. But he has his moments. And so, like, deja vu and stuff like that is... But, like, some of the stuff... It was, it's quite creepy reading about it because they did this thing where they sort of, using electric, electric impulses, turn off one side of the brain and can talk to that being... Yeah. And the person gives completely different answers when mm. that thing's engaged. That's when that other side, yeah. Buy mm. that book. It's I'll, I'll give it to you. It's weird. Yeah, if you're only reading half it, what bit of it was it, mate? When you went, oh, I can't handle this no more. Um, it was the idea that there's. It's almost like a horror film that the the, the you've got that you're basically a passenger, or you've got this passenger in your head, mm. right? And you're sort of doing all the pulling the levers and like doing all the stuff, but actually that thing is sitting back. And that in it sort of supports that idea that we don't actually make our own decisions. They're sort of made two seconds before we do them. So mm. that it's almost like you're a character in a computer game. I think I've said this before. And you're, someone is at home playing a computer game. So when you play Grand Theft Auto, that character's going, I'm turning left, I'm turning right, okay? Mm. But he's it's not aware that someone's told him to do that. An right? ultimate so, reality. So in the computer, yeah, in the computer game reality, he is acting on his own impulses. If he did know, he'd be furious because I'm making some terrible choices. I know. The things I've made him do. He's going to regret that strip club in the morning. Yeah, but like, yeah, that's like, it... No, that there's an ulterior realm. And like all of these things, I think, are necessarily metaphorical, not least because they have to pass through language. So, like, it's saying, like, it's a daemon, it's a consciousness. But I, that, for me, seems... That, that does explain why when you return, as it were, back to this level, those things always seem crazy. Even when you're asking mm. about that orb of light experience or, you know, when you You've remember it... You've got a, yeah, because you, you have you recognise it's difficult to talk about here, and like I've noticed with our particular characteristics, you have a tendency to medicalise and rationalise mm. it. You'll go, oh, it's because I had flu, you know. But like yeah, yeah. having flu, one of the symptoms of flu is not a being comes down and explains the nature of reality no, but in a, a human way. High temperature way. can Sneezing. make you, your brain work yeah, differently. Yeah, what exactly? You would, but uh, but whether you define that or uh, determine that uh, or describe, I suppose that as a kind of delirium or mm. a revelation depends upon the tools with which you understand reality and because we live in a rationalistic materialistic society if someone has an experience of revelation they'll just go oh, that was just that mad thing that happened whereas if you live in a society that has access to the mystery like at least goes look we don't understand everything but yeah. and probably some of the most important things we'll never understand so we we leave a place at the table for the thing that we'll never understand imagine what spiritual truths have been lost to people yeah. who've just gone oh, i'm never eating peanuts again that's the end of that. You won't see a straw in my mouth no more, mate. That's the last time I put an antenna in my bloody head. <laughs> Let me tell you. It's what was been... all that about? Well, that rubbish. OK, now, we're just going to have a little advert. You'll hardly feel a thing. There'll be a little local anaesthetic. Then we're going to just pop an advert down into your skull. And after we come back, we're going to talk about the purchase of a utopian island. What could be simple than that? Russell Brand. Radio. Radio. X. Ah!
Majesty, I remember your late father. He and I scrambling through the cold night air, our fogged breath just before our faces, our fingertips cold as ice as we looked for lowly curs in the grounds. Eventually returning to the pantry, I would grip one of the smaller hounds, Niblet, by his neck and throat, flip him onto his back, whether he wanted to or not, Majesty, and your father, reaching for his vanity case, would find a single emery board, taking it immediately between his finger and thumb with nimble expertise, would file away at the tip, exposing a cross-section, as you know by now, surely, Majesty, if you've been listening, a honeycomb of wet cellular larvae, and each one of those larvae had a secret of the inner workings of the universe, Majesty, and it would grow into a butterfly, then it would lay its own eggs. You're listening, of course, to Russell Brand on Radio What is the root X. of that? Someone emailed and said, there must have been a root. So you were watching The Crown, was it, or...? Yeah, I'll tell you what the root is, if you want to break it down. It's because Winston Churchill's voice is always associated with very, very important information because he was the heartbeat of a nation in yeah. the, one of the defining no, moments but what of the our dog myth. And the, yeah. Like, where the, yeah, where's that come from? <laughs> Memory board is what we want to know. Yeah. Because that's just a funny thing to say, I think, to someone. Like, but yeah, but where's it come? Like, there must have been a moment you saw an emery board. You were fired. This is what I think. You filed an animal's. Why would anyone file down just the tip to reveal a cross section of honeycomb? honeycomb. Yeah. It's too specific. Because there's a certain, I'll tell you another little bit of information is that that people uh, don't there's people there's a sort of a disorder where people don't like to see loads of circles. There's a name for it and everything, you know, like how there's weird little disorders plucking your yeah, hair yeah, out. Yeah. But there's one where people and my girlfriend, wife, wife doesn't like it. She doesn't like to see like a dense mesh of honeycombs or cells really? or things like that. Yeah, and I think it's because it's the ulterior realm under, upon which reality is based. When you talk about a graph, upon you think which... that about everything. <laughs> my <laughs> wife doesn't like toast. Uh, I think that's because there's loads of <laughs> Don't like toast, you say? Perhaps that's because you know that bread is waiting to become toast, even when it's dough. It's knowing I'll be bread, then I'll be toast. Have you seen that video of the per- there's a makeup artist did your it would destroy your wife's mind, right? Why? Makeup artist did this makeup on her hand with loads of bleeding circles, and it is terrifying. Oh, it's been like taken to down on Facebook because it looks like it looks real. But it's, it's like a grid. I'll, I'll find it. Find it, please, because the thing is called tripophobia. Tripop. What? Oh, it sounds like a type of brilliant <laughs> music. Is tripoph tripophobia? Is tripophobia a real phobia? And then it shows a like a, a lotus seed pod, a cross section, uh, a honeycomb. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see it? That's it. How beautiful. The makeup looks a like that on a hand pod. bleeding. It's terrifying. Well, I don't know why people don't like it. I think it's a real sweetie pie. They so like my wife don't like it. Uh, thanks very much, Neil. And uh, I do like it. I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, so if you've ever wondered what it'll be like if me, Matt, and G, and you lived on an island together with someone nominated king, it could be any of us. It's me. I'm at the top of a lighthouse. And we're all there on the island. I'm at the top of a lighthouse flashing away my light. It could be infrared light. Neil, come back on. Oh, my brain's been given a wobbly woo. So uh, you might be interested in our new plan to purchase an island mass and to dominate it under Sharia law. <laughs> no, we'll use whatever laws we want, we'll make it up. Right, David, on the line we've got David Collin, who's a, a man who's written a book. <laughs> uh, it's called Life and Death on Little Ross. It's about this magical island off the coast of Scotland, what we might bloody well buy. It's only rock and roll, but I like it. Here he is, it's David. Colin, are you there, mate? I am. Hello, oh. Russell. Oh, God, you've got a lovely voice. You should be reading children's stories. 
<laughs> Tell us about this island. What's gone on there? Well, it's, it's a beautiful island. It's in the mouth of Kukubri Bay. I'm looking at it as we speak. Um, the Where are you? What have you got on? Where are you standing? I'm uh, wearing a scruffy old fleece, and I'm in the garage of my house looking due south towards Little Ross, and behind it I can see the Isle of Man. Oh, is it, a real, got... is it a real beauty, Little Ross, even from your garage? In your fleece. It, it's, a, it's a classic island. It's just a little island, about 150 feet high in the middle, mm. with a beautiful lighthouse tower on the top, designed by the famous Stevenson family. Really? Two cottages below the tower for the keepers, mm. and also a range of farm buildings, some stores, and two magnificent stone pigsties. Well, it sounds absolutely beautiful, David. Now, realistically, how many people could live there in what I'm calling a utopian commune? Well, you would have some difficulties because it's very much um, at the the beck and call of, of tides and winds, uh-huh. and sometimes the weather's such that you can't land there. In 1861, there were 14 people lived there, which I think is the most that's ever been recorded. But um, that would tax the water supply pretty considerably. But you have another problem in thinking of buying it, because I've got really bad news for you. No. It was sold last week. Oh, Oh, boo! Who bought it, David? Well, I can only report on rumours. And Go on, that's good enough for us. adept at producing rumours. <laughs> they range from a drugs baron, the oh. mafia, <gasps> Joanna Lumley, and somebody that you may know and who may be opposition to your position at the top of the tower. Katie Hopkins. The rumour is Chris Evans. Chris Evans. Up at the top of the tower, beaming tangerine magic into a world that he has long dominated. <laughs> How dare he? So hold on a second, because it was available at 325 grand, which we would have had to, if we were going to do uh, like a crowdfund thing, weren't we, and say just let's buy a magical island Good and run idea. it to Utopia. It's achievable amount. So it's achievable. We'd only need five quid off of... I mean, you do the math. Not you, David. I mean, someone else. I don't know who. Anyone. Like, but we, it was an achievable dream of utopia. But now, instead of us having a utopian commune there, you're going to have Chris Evans up there screaming <laughs> his head off from a lighthouse. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be challenging. Well, the good Unless news... Unless the drugs, Baron. Well, the good news really is that, uh, as somebody said to me, half the lies you hear in Kukubri aren't true. <laughs> That's beautiful. Half the lies you hear in Kakubri aren't true. That's oh, good. Have you seen? Thank you. Uh, so, but also, Kakubri uh, is where you're seeing it—the coastal mainland space from which you're viewing this island. But tell yes. us, because this island has a history bestrewn with mystery, doesn't it? And intrigue. Well, if if you believe what the the press say, but yes, I think you're you're referring to an incident that yep, took the place. Yep, the murder. Come on, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> 1960. My my big moment of fame. Oh. Uh, all the things I've done in my life. You didn't do go- the murder, did you, David? No, no, no. But all the things, I, good things I've done that are completely forgotten about, I will go down in history. I think as the person who found the murder. Oh, I sailed there with good my in your father. But go on, tell us more. Your accent, in, in your accent, murder. murder. It's so resonant <laughs> to the English ear. Well, I sailed there with my father in 1960 on a day sail just to have a picnic on the island. And uh, to cut a very long story short, we were surprised there was no sign of life. We Usually one saw the keepers um, somewhere around the island. What were they and like, the keepers? What were they like? Well, I didn't know either of the two keepers. That Eerie, were, grey-faced were, men, was they? 
Not at all. Oh. One was a, a young uh, chap of 25, mm. uh, ex-Merchant Navy, ex, sorry, ex-Royal Navy, and the other was an elder man, uh, apparently a very nice man, who was a, a, an occasional relief keeper while the principal keeper was away on his holidays. Okay. And where does the principal keeper go on his holidays? Hey, where does From he Little go? From Little Ross Island. Go on. He, he went to the lighthouse at Eosa Craig. <laughs> he went to another lighthouse? Yes. You've got to get your imagination working, mate. He's, he's, <laughs> his mind's too full of lighthouse the bulb. Lighthouse tended to do that because they nearly all were part of huge families who were all in the lighthouse service. So on holiday, they, they didn't earn very much money, so they tended to go and stay with their relatives in, in even more remote lighthouses than their own ones. God, wow. it's not remote enough for me. It's like, <laughs> it's like one more remote. How realistic was Fraggle Rock? Uh, Sorry, David, I apologise for that question. I mean, it, Hang on, there's the two keepers. Yeah, we we'll us get back so to this murder. So there's the young 25-year-old, and then there was the older guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then what happens? You've gone there for a picnic. It's quiet. There's no sign of life on no the island. No sign of life. And eventually my father went into... Well, first of all, we both went into the principal keeper's house and found absolutely nobody there. Everything really neat, uh, scrupulously clean and tidy. Mm. A budgie in a cage singing. Oh. Uh, and a, a very friendly dog wandering around. Everything does sound like absolutely as it should be. But when we went, my father then went into the second house, and in it he found a man. He came running out of the house and shouted to me, There's a man ill in his bed, see if he can get help. And I ran down to the shore because I knew that friends who were lobster fishing were nearby, and uh, they would have had a boat that was more able to get us help quickly than our elderly sailing dinghy. So I came back up to the top of the island with my friend Robert Milligan, and uh, we went with my father into the second house, and there was an elderly man in his bed, neatly tucked up in his bed in his pyjamas, and um, there was a towel close to his head that did have some blood stains on it, mm. but we thought he was ill. Uh, you, you don't expect to find... A murder. You don't expect to find a dead man, but you certainly don't expect to find a murder uh, on a sunny day on a beautiful island. So we first really concentrated on trying to get assistance. Um, We thought he was probably dead, and it turned out that he most certainly was. He'd been shot in the head at point-blank range. But we didn't see any of that. We didn't know that. We um, raised the alarm, and eventually a doctor and police came but that took about three hours. Uh, we were very puzzled because there should have been a second keeper there and there was no sign of him. Mm, but the theory we developed was that um, the unfortunate man had perhaps fallen and hit his head and had been put to bed by the other keeper who then went ashore to, to get help. Mm. Of course, we couldn't understand why he hadn't come back. Mm. But um, the police acting on pretty impressive information arrested them the next day in Yorkshire. What do you mean? What's the pretty impressive information? Well, they must have had information, really, I don't know from whom, um, about where he was likely to be heading, because they they laid in wait for him at a place called Selby Toll in Yorkshire and Mm. caught him there. Do you think Robert Milligan, your childhood friend, is somewhere caught up in all of this, David? (laughs) No, no, I'm afraid... Robert is, is no more. He's he, he died a good few years ago. Mm, um, 
We'll never know. He takes that secret with him to the great born from which no traveller returns. <laughs> so they caught the fella in... Uh, they caught the fella, did they, in yeah. New Yorkshire? Did he confess? Well, he, he when he was asked about um, Little Rock Island, he said, yes, yes, I knew all about it. <laughs> well, like he was a bit bored by the inquiry. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I did a murder there a couple of days back. The source of the fella. What about uh, the other mysterious lighthouse keeper who was not yet found, hmm? Where was no, he? This is the one that was, that was, was found. Oh. Okay. He went to he was... Oh, he done it. Try and keep it. Oh, yeah. my God. Russell, and so what about Robert Milligan? The worst detective ever. Wait Robert a Milligan second. I'm trying passing... to get the clues. <laughs> Robert Milligan was just a passing fisherman. You there was never that. any doubt about who did it. Um, it was the uh, assistant keeper. Is this the young, handsome, thrusting one? Or the poor yes, elderly? that's right. Mm, 25 years old. He must yes. have had a grudge. Was he shot in well, bed? Well, he or had a history of bed? mental illness. And grudges? He, he had, in fact, at one time been certified insane. In the membrane? <laughs> Quite. <laughs> but it, it makes his defence of insanity um, seem fairly credible, wouldn't you think? Well, yeah, if you've got a history of mental illness and then you go, do murder someone, and you go, that was all part of my mental illness, <laughs> well, then yeah, it I is credible. But what I don't like, if I may say so, David, was his attitude when he was ex cross-examined when he goes, oh, yes, 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 Little Ross Island, I know all about that. I used to be the lighthouse keeper there. You might find yourself a little treasure or two if you have a snoop round. He sounds like a, a very interesting cat. So, now listen, at the beginning of this, David, when we were talking about Little Ross Island, yes, we speculated as to who may have acquired it. Could it be a drugs baron? Could it be a porn star? Could it be Chris Evans himself? <laughs> or, and then we talked about you saying that, there are, that you're only being remembered for one thing. What else might you be remembered for, David? Because I'm... Happened to find you delightful. <laughs> well, it's very kind of you. I, I don't really know what else I might be remembered for. I, I've written a few books on local history. Anything um, else? What, what other bits of local history were interesting then? We've already uncovered a murder, Robert Milligan, very uh, suspicious, and I say <laughs> incriminated both. <laughs> well, there's, there's lots of fascinating local history, but I, I suppose uh, another interesting part of my life was I, I worked for six years in Fiji. And, what were you um, doing? Why can't you leave islands alone? Well, well, you're right. I just love islands. You Stayed just... in lots and lots of uninhabited islands there. Why? And, and in fact, spent um, time during a major hurricane Ooh. on a little island called Vatulele, which was absolutely a beautiful place, but it was rather what alarming. What was so nice weather... about it, David? Now, come on. Mostly the people. Which type uh, of people, David? <laughs> Were they wearing rice, grass skirts, coconut bras, Balu, out of Jungle Book? Mm. That's right, all of that, <laughs> yes. And some great musicians. Um, mm. But the disconcerting thing was when the Radio Fiji announced that there was a hurricane coming and that we should all make for the high ground. Mm. And the who highest was point it? in Vatulele was five feet above sea level. Oh, it sounds really... It sounds to me like you may be a, f a fellow who's bringing jinxes to every island that you visit, my man. <laughs> now, not at all. Not at all. Was there a phantom, spectre, ghost, or some other sort of supernatural being up and down the spirally stairs of the lighthouse where you went? Tell us the truth, David. Well, if, if you believe what the newspapers will tell you, I the place do. is creepy, horrible, grisly past, uh, frightening, and would be impossible to sell because people were so frightened of the ghost. Oh, the reality is I have never heard a ghost mentioned until a French television team came to Kagubri recently making a programme about the sale of the island. Mm. Uh, and their, their theory was the island would be impossible to sell because of its grisly past. But as, in fact, I've 
just reported. The island sold for a figure which is believed to be well in excess of the asking price. Uh, so I think the ghost is defeated. So do I. <laughs> and another thing that might be of interest to you, I was speaking to somebody recently, the wife of one of the last uh, lighthouse keepers to be stationed on the island, uh, she knew the murdered man very well oh. and she said she can't understand why anybody would, would be afraid of ghosts because if Hugh had come back to haunt the island, his ghost would be as friendly and kind a man as he was. Oh, oh. that's a zombie. No, <laughs> that was Matt that said that. Now, all right, David, thank you for coming and giving us insights into the paranormal, the normal, archipelagos, am I saying that right? And Very well, yeah. Thank you. Cheers, I was trying my best. And uh, and also, possibly uh, putting Chris Evans in a category along with drug barons, <laughs> porn stars, <laughs> and furriers that use mice pelts to make little bikinis. Oh, Joanna Lumley, she I, was I do stress it's only a local rumour, and I'm sure the truth will be different. The truth... <laughs> We'll come out, especially if me and Matt have got anything to do with it. We'll crack this case. We'll bring Milligan to justice. <laughs> <laughs> easy, innocent, easy, innocent. All right, well, thank you, David, for coming on the phone with us. And I hope we find other reasons to come on, perhaps to talk about your time on a Fijian Isle where you troubled the population, yanking away at their coconuts and blurring <laughs> in their grass skirts. David, it's been lovely to talk to you. You're a really warm, lovely, delightful man. Can you say murder just once more? There has been a murder. Oh, <laughs> that's the stuff. Thanks very Read much. Read all about David. it in my book. Oh, yeah, buy David's book. 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 He did the murder. No, no, he didn't. He's innocent. It's Milligan. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, David. Thanks to all of you. Brilliant. We love you. speaking to you. I love you. I love you. Bye, mate. Bye. Well, you showed me up there. Showed yourself All I done was try to support. the whole of Radio X up. I tried to crack the case. I'm trying to bring... You couldn't even follow the simplest story. What about the other fellow who went missing, eh? He told you. He was in wherever he was. Now, who's this other guy? Wait a second, who's right in the lighthouse? What I wanted to know was, he was all cleanly and tight, like, nicely tucked into in. his bed in his pyjamas. Right, but having been point. shot in the head, right? Mm. How did it take them that long that? to go, oh, we thought he'd fallen and stuff like that? It must have been, a, mm. it, was it a point two two rifle? That must Get him back I mean, on the, the line. The exit wound would be massive. The exit wound would be the size of cauliflower. Now, David, what's... <laughs> I tell you what, mate, and another thing, where's Uncle Travelling Mac and the dozers? And the trash heap, and everyone else in all of this. He said there was a very friendly dog there. Yep, which was in front. Taste cares away. Worries for another day. Let the children play. Ooh, ooh, Dad Fragger. Let the music play. Dad Not Frag. let the children play. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking of. Very confusing I on this side. Leave the children now the, the future. future. Yep, well, this is all entertainment as far as I'm concerned. There's <laughs> <laughs> an advert now. Just live with it. Dear Britain, we know you can't wait to take off again to the people and places you love, to feel the sun on your face and the sand down your shorts, or just read and read and read until you feel happy and glorious once more. Take off to Europe from £39 each way. British Airways, made by Britain. T's and C's apply. Limited availability. Price based on a return fare departing London Heathrow in September. See ba.com slash lates for details. This, this is, is Radio X. Russell Brand. Last link, last link, you're the last link. You're listening to Russell Brand on Radio X. Da, 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 da. 
Radio X. I can make it up my own jingles now. Well, it's been a great show, hasn't it? Whether it was cyborgs or a man who solved a murder. Or did he? Is the murderer very much at large? Great mystery. We're going to have to find a new island. That's the, that's a fact. We're going to have to find a peninsula, some sort of landmass on which we can create I a new the kingdom. the lesson of that is to, Go on. before you put someone on an island... Mm. with one other person. Yes, go do on. Do a bit of a background check. Bit of a background check. Are you a nutter and might you do a murder if you got a bit wound up? Oh, yes, probably, probably. <laughs> well, um, what do you mean, email about jingles? There's an email about jingles here. Hello, says oh, Sam said Lewis. Done a pin, theme pin. song. Oh, yeah. You never played it. I will. <laughs> I am a musical emissary of the Matt Morgan Appreciation Society, says Sam Lewis. Pin, Ooh. pin. I've immortalised your antics into a tasty beat in very much the same way as I did with Belly Bounce a few years ago, which you were gracious enough to play live on air. This song is called Matt Morgan, Original Victim, and is packed with as many references to the show, or Podrot, as we like to call it. How dare you? Oh, that's up to them. As I could master. There's a website called Podrot. I hope you enjoy it. I spent more time on it than was reasonable for an adult with a job. Also, if Gareth wants to record the French horn solo, Caps, himself for real, he's welcome round my gaff any time for a sesh. That's from mm. Sam Lewis, who it sounds to me is well up for it. Well up for it. So let's just hear a little smidgen of it. I won't use the word snippet because I don't like it. We'll just hear a little smidgen and then what we'll Prefer do... Prefer smidgen? Smidgen, yeah, at least someone's at least had the decency to smudge that snippet up a lens. Mm. Mm. And what about we'll just play a little bit of this thing and then we'll have a podcast later, won't we? We'll look like an, on the podcast, if you be kind enough to tune into that, we'll uh, we'll play the whole thing. We'll play the whole version and you'll uh, That's exclusive be content, guys. That's exclusive <laughs> content. There's no other word for it. There's no other word for it, but here's a bit. Boring. Oh. This is good so far. So far, I'm really enjoying my life. Turn it up. This is coming out. This is how it goes. Is that my vocal? No. Hmm. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, well, you shouldn't have been a victim then. A lot of victims call themselves survivors, it helps Let them. it play. <laughs> I mean, this is this long intro. All right, so anyway, look, that goes on. It's full of references. We're going to talk about that in the podcast. So if you... Uh, there's a lot of original content in the podcast. Remember our contest. The person that finds the most people to subscribe to our podcast gets to be behind a glass panel. Imagine that, <laughs> a glass panel, and smudge their faces against it the while we're doing this. limited supply of oxygen. But anyone who... Yeah, it is limited. And all everything's limited, apparently. Now, like, and then we've got... To find, anyone that can find 10, will, 10 people to subscribe to the podcast, your name will be placed... In in a tombola bucket if you can prove that you've got 10 people to subscribe to the podcast and then your no, name could be plucked out. The person the most. The person that gets the most tombolas out. No, they pluck it from the raffle. I can't run a thing. I can run it. I'll person run this gets island. The most subscribers to the podcast. Prove it to us. I don't know how you would. Uh, Photos of their subscriptions. Oh, yeah. Screen grabs. Screen grabs. And then you will be allowed... Behind Come a glass here. panel. He's very insistent on the glass. That's but not be, my thing. You'll be I behind just, a panel, like I a fishy. He'll be hosed down, de-loused. <laughs> <laughs> You can wrong. come in here and uh, meet us or something. No, you're behind a panel. You're that behind a glass very big panel. Of us. 
It does. But you're behind a panel, you see, and you're Why watching are you it so unfold. On the glass panel? <laughs> because there's a lovely glass panel in the normal studio, not this Al Gore it's Kingdom It's a window to the corridor. Yeah, but it's nice, isn't it? And what about... No, you're, I'm, I'm thinking about the gap, the anti-space, the unworld. Hmm? Oh, that bit. You'll be in there. Wouldn't that be lovely? Overlooking Leicester Square. There could be a glittering premiere on. You they might see the back of Colin Firth's head. That's soundproof glass. Oh, you can listen to it on the radio when you get home. They <laughs> <laughs> so can just watch us yeah. from a void which isn't actually meant to be entered by humans. It's I'm like very between the... F- the building wall. Yes, an unspace mysterious realm. Haven't you learned nothing from the cyborgs? Anyway, so just send us the screen grabs, get there, we want to see this podcast shoot at the trap like a little low rocket. Now, in order to summarise what's just gone down, why don't we take a visit down to Mr G Town where he, using rhymes, poetry and lyrics, will help us understand ourselves better than we could using our own brains what don't have an antenna in them. Ladies and gentlemen, using the lighthouse fists that shine and keep us off the rocks of our own minds, it gee, it Mr. G, G, G. <laughs> okay, this poem's called The United Fields of Vision. Can we unify the fields to interact with extraterrestrial zeal that is rolled up into five dimensions yet gravity laughs at our machines, bringing us sweetly back down to earth? The movie of life projects from birth. What's faith? What's confidence? Do sugary lips give value to our worth? Yet darkness comes in three stages. Insomnia is cured by three pages. Are the islands in our conscious stream inhabited by dreams of green faces? Can we grasp the mystery of everything, where every string has a quantum loop? Maybe we're just one of many ingredients and a finger-licking cosmic soup. Yeah. How does he do it? How's he done it? What's going on in the world? He did the sound What's... effect too. Well, that one I done. Is that you? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's me. Still doing it down at Fraggle Rock. Oh! Whoa. Now... <laughs> that was him. Ladies and gentlemen, we can all... Oh, I can only... Oh, no. <laughs> There'll be, a, old... there'll be a glass panel. A glass Stop panel. Stop saying it. <laughs> You're saying that as if that's the good thing. Right. What's that's the good a thing? negative. Right. For no. them. There will. I can tell you now. There For will be person. no glass panels. <laughs> glass panel free. You, you just will... make a perspex box. Oh, I'm not. You will be in a cube of nothingness. Now, someone told me once that that TV programme, The Cube, the cube isn't that important, that they're just doing things like a game of cup and ball or something like squash a centipede with the back of your thumb. And yeah. all the, the, the cube isn't irrelevant. But it's just that it goes on in the cube. Well, that's yeah. so silly. Well, that's just absolutely so silly. It's just as silly as anything else. It's just as silly as... I mean, what's that? I'm the weakest link. Oh, that's just so silly. Weak link is you silly sods. Right, once we get our own lighthouse, this will all be much more different now, won't it, than it was before? Hmm? From the lighthouse. Let's find out who actually did buy that. We need to know. This is a need-to-know basis, and we bloody well need to know. I what bet it's no one dealer? famous. Scumly Lumley? Scumly Lumley? That's rumours. Yeah, it's rumours, mate. It's rumours, all right. But the real rumour is who done that bloody murder. Because I don't want to think of an innocent man behind bars for a murder what he never even committed just because he was a bit insane in the membrane, you know, while Mulligan walks free. Not on your <laughs> Nelly, you don't. All right, well, I hope you've enjoyed this radio show. It's an example of some people trying their best to, to do what they believe is right. And isn't that what's important? No. No, it's not. What's important is quality entertainment. Coming up after we're finished, and many would say we were finished some time ago, is a man whose name rhymes with rotund fart. But that doesn't mean the content of his... Right, Gordon does not rhyme with Rotund. It does if it's an unrhyme, doesn't it, G? Well, like an if you were doing a pop song. Un- <laughs> <laughs> wrap this up. <laughs> an unrhyme. Yeah. Windbag. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? 
I've rolled my trousers up. I've been for a paddle. I'm in the saddle. Oh, you're not my wife. Get out of my lighthouse. Get out of my lighthouse. I never painted those straps there. Yeah. They turned the mics down ages ago. I know, I know. I'm still talking to Al Gore in my mind. <laughs> There's no such thing as climate change. Sit down, sir. Well, thanks very much. Enjoy Gordon Smart. And who's after that? Jermaine Defoe. What mad footballer you're trundling here all trussed up like Lecter after that, eh? Who's it going to be? Dion Dublin? Mm. Just say goodbye. I won't. the mics down. Okay. Listing footballers. Why? (laughs) Why? I've always loved you. I've always loved all of you. But it's never been enough. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Where's my lighthouse? Where's my... (laughs) Russell Brand. This is Radio X. Well, what the hell was going on there? That was literally, I mean, the last bit, well, I mean, that was extraordinary, wasn't it? I mean, you just didn't want to say goodbye. Yeah, you went on for. Do you ever get that when you don't, Mm. you sort of, you think you've told me before? It's sort of a, an attachment issue sometimes. Yeah. I wouldn't go home from school, see? That was the problem. Miss Savage, in the end, had to ask me to leave. Really? I was, she goes, come on, go home now. Because I'd made her and that other one, I think she was called Mrs Maris, I'd made them laugh for a while. This is Little Farrakh Primary School. I think I was mm. seven. I was making them laugh, and they were really enjoying it. And thinking about it now, they were probably women in their 20s. I felt this magnetic attraction, not from them, of course. They were repulsed from me at <laughs> yeah. them. And uh, they went, uh, listen, they were really laughing. They went, oh, listen, you have got to go home now. But it was such a long walk home, Matt. I didn't want to go. I didn't you were walking home on your own at seven. No, I was probably a bit older then, but it was definitely primary school. Yeah. And in them days, it wasn't so much of a thing, was it, walking home on your own? It was just boring. It was just bloody boring. Yeah. I could have now. Gone. Terribly exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that behind the hood? Ah! <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, it's been spiced up, hasn't it? By the it's probably no fear. I bet, like, dread. Um, statistically, it's no safer. I probably. Uh, do you know what? No I think worse, you're right. I mean, no I mean the, ultimately, the statistic is this: hundred percent of us are going to be dead down the drain in a century at best, unless old cyborg. Yeah, shops. but not as cyborg going home from school. That's the difference. Oh no, that is terrible. That's a terrible way to go. But like, anyway, what I was saying is Bradley Avenue. I hated walking down there when I had that fight with that lad and I ate him with my lunchbox. Then his parents pulled me into their house. I thought, this can't be right. That I'm in this corridor now. This isn't part of my deal, simply for winning a lunchbox battle. I mean, you know, but those are that, that's the way sometimes it unrolls, isn't it? Yeah, I had things like that happen. Where, where parents where, intervened? Yeah, parents got a bit... Like, I was lifted up by my throat. Dad. <laughs> Someone's dad. That can't be right. Look what's happened to us. No wonder we've gone unusual. Corridors, That's throats. what life was back then. It was more violent and weird. It was violent and it was the weird. The world's been sanitised. I think it's for the best. What, the sanitisation? All right. Like, Some bits are good. Well, I told you when I lived with that primary school teacher and I helped her mark books, which was odd, and they were only little kids, but it was like... Some of the maths was quite hard. Anyway, you weren't allowed to do crosses because it was too aggressive. What did you, you do? You do a tick for yes or a dash for, hey, you'll get it right next time, buddy. Hey, it's don't too, worry. A cross is too aggressive. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but, yeah, no, fair enough, a dash. I mean, that, was a year, that was about 15 years ago. Just a little dashy-dashy. What are they doing now? I don't know. Look, I'm going to go... Smiley face. Well done, next track. So now I'm going to do some emails so as people feel really, really loved inside. This one's from Midi. 
Dearest Russell, with regard to your nasal waxing, can I please ask, has there been any discomfort as the hairs have been growing back? You know, like in other areas of the body after shaving? God. I've been slightly obsessed with having the same procedure done since last week's show. Not really. It's not been that bad. In fact, I think it's harder to pluck individual hairs. I like to just get the whole lot out in one black clump like a little mouse's mop and to see it on the end of an earbud in that black blue tack stuff like a little mop, all those hairs, follicles at the end of them. Oh. What's wrong with that? That noise. <laughs> no. People are turning off. Why? Well, listen don't to like it. it. Listen. <laughs> they don't mind it. Those fraggles, what were they doing? What were they up to? What does it mean? Because there's the fraggles, then there's the dozers, then there's the trash heap. Who's right? Who can we trust? The like housekeeper. The he people. was in porridge. You can't trust the him. other people. Who? The big oh, those big galumphing king and queen Look, and sons. Well, what's weird about them is they had a kingdom, but they were them themselves. Now, I think that's a comment on the meaninglessness of materialism. You're king of a meaningless world. You're sovereign of meaninglessness. Well, the dozers were like the workers, weren't they, making stuff out yeah. of radishes. That actually was quite beautiful glass-like structures. They were lovely. But it was edible. They were eating it. Yeah, the fraggles yeah. were eating that. Which is yeah. very decadent. It was all very strange. It was creation, the doozers, destruction, fraggles. The fraggles. The sage, the like an oracle, that's like the trash, the trash heap. heap. Yeah, she was great. Yeah, she was the best. She had songs and everything, like proper songs. Mm. And she had two, what's it? Them two little yes men. Servants. Whatever they were. I don't remember the trash heap. You don't remember the trash heap? Trash heap I, was I'm the, getting uh, confused with Wizkit when there was, a, there was a slime, there was like a purple bloke who was made out of slime. It was like the mud heap outside... Wizbit's like kingdom. Now, what Terence McKenna would say, the pioneering uh, hallucinogen expert, he would say that that myths are bubbling up into the conscious mind from the collective unconscious. So that that's why there's consistency the of trash, like the trashy, the purple, the purple thing. thing yeah. That there's an archetypal consistency through it. He did this brilliant riff where he goes. Like, even the most prosaic and ludicrous and commonplace myth of our time, the Father Christmas idea, he says that, the, you know, the idea has come bubbling up to us and it's taken hold because there's some peculiar veracity to it, that there's a benevolent figure mm. that has... Um, Elves making children's playthings, the playthings for the innocents. And where, right, uh, and where does he live? He says at the uh, North Pole. yeah, the North Pole, Mundus. Uh, he called it Mundus, top some, of the world, like yeah, the, the top, heaven. Yeah, yeah. And he's saying that, like, even though it's you know the, the Father Christmas myth is the Father Christmas myth, but like he's saying that within it encoded are truths that we don't quite understand are truths. Particularly, I mean, Theresa McKenna was fond of saying that if a lighthouse landed on the South Lawn, in his bizarre voice, if a lighthouse landed on the South Lawn. A no, lighthouse. If I, <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. If a UFO landed on the south lawn of the White House, <laughs> uh, then um, then it goes, it would be no less amazing than what you experienced with a serious leather-lunged blast of DMT. So yeah, what you experience, it, yeah. he goes, because you empirically experience yeah. that your own beingness is not what you presume it to be. Obviously, we would not endorse that. But, but like, it sounds interesting that there's something you can do alone momentarily that completely un- Ravels your perception. Yeah, but if you like, so DMT, it's not a narcotic. I suppose it is, isn't it? In recovery, you couldn't do it. Yeah, you couldn't. No, you'd be allowed to do it. So far, no. I mean, I'd have to find people that would endorse it. But like, yeah, yeah. I mean, just for me, what interests me about it is not that it's an anaesthetic or uh, it's not like a like. Oh, this is fun. Is it? It's more of a sort of revelation. 
tool. Sorry. Yeah, it seems like it's a way of like, like I was listening to the podcast of Sam Harris with this, I think he's a philosopher called, called Thomas Mesinger, and they're like, in, they were talking about the nature of consciousness. And like most of the stuff they talk about is through Buddhism and meditation, but they're saying that if you like these, the experiences that you can have using these substances is an interesting study of ontology, you know, the nature mm. of But DMT is actually the, it's in your brain naturally, isn't it's it? It's in our brains naturally, it's in plants naturally, and it's a sort of a distillation taken from ayahuasca and we are, when taken in serious doses apparently you know it just sounds extraordinary and we on under the skin we spoke to a couple of people that are doing a study on it here in london and it's the consistency of experience that fascinates me that people are consistently saying this happened then this happened then this happened so it's like yeah, well because yeah. what that suggests is it's not just the chaos of delirium like we discussed in the radio yeah. show oh in my fever i saw a prophet at the end you know it's possible that the visual images that you draw upon are from your culture like if you've been brought yeah. up a cafe you'll see a tunnel of light and Christ at the end of it. But it still speaks of a kind of travelling somewhere and seeing pure consciousness at the end of it. Like, Mm. all language is based on conveying meaning through image, whether that's the letter A or the figure of Christ or any other prophetic figure. It's like talking about truth and meaning. And if you actually experience that in your own consciousness through either meditation or epiphany or some chemical chemically induced experience that's going to change your relationship to reality and i think that the reason those people that do a lot of that stuff from that side of it that new wave new age thing is like the the reason they have such a belief in it is that if enough people do that you're gonna think well this is madness this isn't real because i feel like on some level we all know the thing as well i was just thinking i don't want to do it myself but i'd like someone i really know and trust their opinion to go and do it you. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I was thinking, but the, the, by the nature of the thing, DMT, if you come out of it, you wouldn't be then able to use the, like, our language wouldn't be enough to describe it to me. Mm. So you'd just go, well, man, it was crazy. You wouldn't be able to go, well, first of all, you know. And, I think and there's a shared experience, like loads of people do it and go and have the same experience. Isn't it weird, we've said this before, that when we talk a lot about these things, you can almost hypnotise yourself into experiencing it. You start to feel, you know, like yeah, I was talking... I go home in a weird mood if we talk about weird stuff. When I talk to atheists about, like, this sort of stuff, it's like I still... What I sort of say to them is it's like that there is... That we have an... In, in psychiatric terms, when Freud talks about the uncanny, it's like that you can induce in yourself a, an awareness of otherness. And for me, mm. that's... A, like, you know, that's not talking about it in religious terms. That's not, oh, I had a revelation, I realised, you know, the Christ or whatever. It's like something's going on that we're continually drawn away from. And I think that's what conspiracy theories are, you know, like whether conspiracy theories are just people's overactive imagination, their awareness that their anatomy is continually running their body, so there is a mystery beneath and around consciousness. But I also think it's because being can be different. And what that guy was saying there, Neil Harbison, when he was saying, if you change your sense, you're changing your experience of reality. I mean, it's odd. What is odd about it is that anyone could do that, really, isn't it? Not anybody would do it, but anybody mm. could stick an antenna and have your bones jangled by infrared. You know, you're not experiencing infrared in a visual medium, but then, like, it's this thing of experience that's the most fascinating and fundamental, you know, like... The thing that got... Sorry, the thing that got me was that he, he went into technology to get close to nature. Yeah, yeah. That's what he said. He just goes, "I wanted to yeah. get closer to nature." The end game isn't yeah. technology. It's like to become yeah. more like an animal. Technology is the vessel by which you would deliver a new experience of. I want to get into technology, so like, you know, you could sort of build a bodysuit and walk around and Iron like, Man. never die. <laughs> an invincible 
Boiler of limitlessness. All right, should we listen to some more of this bloody song then? Where is it? Have we got a, like, a listen to a bit more of it and wrap up this thing? That's the full version. Full version's there. Thank you very much, Neil. Okay, so this is the MMAs, as you heard a little clip of at the end of that mad, mad radio show, have done this long, long song. Now, we love the Matt Morgan Appreciation Society. Yep. We appreciate them right back. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to G's Appreciation Society starting. And I'm wondering who the hell's going to be in it and what's going to be wrong <laughs> with them. To, they'll have to know their metaphors very well. They're going to have to. I mean, they're, they're going to have to almost be a metaphor. Now let's listen to let's listen to this thing and see what we reckon, and we'll commentate over it because that's the way I live. Can I fast forward it? Because we've heard that bit. <laughs> Neil can. Neil can with his own mum. Neil's a cyborg. Don't you remember they sang this at the event? Yeah, they yeah, did. This yeah. is their mantra. Because and I remember that I invented that song. Because I went, it should be like... Uh, Ice-T. Yeah. 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 This Ice is our religion to start. Yep. Yeah. I've been already. telling you. I've been telling so, you. So, so, like, I live to a ripe old age. Mm. <laughs> Matt Morgan with his eyes are blue. Every time I see him, I just shout, <laughs> They call him Skin Daddy, and if he screams on the mic, Somebody kiss this! I just might. <laughs> He's a legend, hypochondriac, every man dad. Passing by at work, not too bad. Matt, we want to thank you for the joy that you bring. So can I get a belly bounce? That's all I can say about Matt Morgan. Now over to his hero, Slash Gordon. Wow. Yeah, that's nice. I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying the lyrics. I'm enjoying the vocal timber of that man. <laughs> it's only a guitar solo done on a machine. Go on. What are you going to say? Look at him sort of leaning back, contemplating it. I'm a connoisseur of the guitar. You'll take it to you. This won't be a real guitar. Will it? it Just remember that it's the celebration of your victimhood. When when people chant like that, it sounds like bullying. (laughs) <laughs> it does, doesn't it? The chant is a bullion, yeah. unless it's a sort of a spiritual chant, maybe. Yeah. You know, they're, just, they're trying to conjure you up. I love it. Depth. I think it's very good, and I think people are so creative and wonderful. I mean, well, some people would say that this is a ridiculous, ridiculous, jingoistic chant. But this is our I want more style. religious Imagine content. Imagine I die at a ripe old age, yeah. and these people Carry talk on. about me and their children, and then, and then this song. Yeah, but what are they going to say? By the time you're at great grandchildren. I'm sound thought of deity. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Russell doesn't like on it. On the French horn, I give you Gareth Roy. <laughs> wow. What is? Is that a French horn? Oh, this is a, nice. Same as the guitar. Synthetic. Synthetic, like your whole stupid religion. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the final part of Ayahuasca. Like yeah, the reflection yeah. is to come down. The come down yeah. and like, oh, where have we been? Where will we go? What gods may we make? Is that good? Yeah, come on, Gal. Could you? Gareth might recreate that with an actual French horny. Many other nights. Oh, I don't like this bit. <laughs> no, it's got better now. <laughs> it's good this bit. Boring. <laughs> It's quite moving set to music, that. Pin him to the flagstone floor, and only then, when the beast abated squirming, would your late father, 
rest his soul, <laughs> rest pocket and every board, and pinching it between his finger and thumb, <laughs> aggressively burned, till a cross section was revealed, a honeycomb of shells, each one with an individual burden. His face all lit up now, it's a bit end. He's like, he's got tears in his eyes. <laughs> Boring. Very moving. I mean, very it could moving. Go on for a while. Yeah. That's very good. Brilliant. Wow, you're crying. Well, that's ex- you're actually look, crying. Exquisite oratory. Those oh brave God. boys. That is what makes Britain great, stuff You've like that. You've moved yourself. The first bit weren't very good. But when it got into that lovely spirit, I don't know who that brave orator was. Very much a modern-day Homer, I would say. Someone, oh, a myth-maker. A myth-maker and a king of kings. Some have called him very the greatest ever told. stuff. Good work. Who was it that made it again? What was his name? Oh, no, he's real oh. down. Sam. Sam, well done. Whatever gender you may very, be. Very clever. Very impressive. We're very impressed. You have made me weep real tears yeah. at my own beauty. <laughs> well, that's what we call a podcast. I don't know what you call it. Remember, now, if you want to be behind a glass panel, send us the maximum number of conceivable subscriptions that you have gathered. Scream, grab, scream, grab. Or... Just get ten, and you will be entered into a lovely top bowler, and you can be plucked from a lovely bowl, and you will get a chance to come in here and sit on Matt Morgan, the visual victim's lap, and perhaps grab his chubby little cheeks, and stare into his wet, watery eyes, and kiss his teeth for a while. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with it? Uh, this is not necessarily my opinion, but it might just work. Oh, well, that's a podcast and you can't deny it. Free of charge, wasn't it? Did you get charged for that? What's the problem then? Hmm? What's your problem? You can't give money back if something was free, can you? Hmm? Anything to say? Um, Mm. uh, End it now. End it. Gotta go. No, don't go. Come back! Come back, sit down. Show us what you've got in there. What's that Pudgy bit in front of your like, groin. You know that bit in Alan Partridge where he goes, Oh, stop oh, all this. Stop I remember all that this. feeling when you were a kid. Much. A lot. Yeah. That happened a lot where you sort of think, Oh, let's just. Let's pivot go out back of the tantrum. Get, get out of it. Oh, just forget the original objective and just oh, get just out of this all those things I just said. How <laughs> <laughs> are you? Do you like cheese? Smell my cheese. Well, there it was. That's a podcast, and it's the best we've got to offer. Goodbye, Britain. Goodbye, America, wherever you are. Screen grabs, glass panel. Ah, majesty. Murder. <laughs> Russell Brand. Radio X. X.